like normally that's where you get you'd, you'd give uh, career advice to you know sort of the younger generation is you know lunches and water cooler in the office but now during the pandemic it's clubhouse right i'd love to join the room next time michelle yeah, I definitely. Too, I can right? actually add you in because um, I like to have more people from the tech startup board as well to give advice as to, you know, how to get into that. But I'll, I can definitely so my speciality, well. so, so my speciality is moving back to Africa because that's scary for a lot of people. Yes, it's an opportunity, but, you know, you know, it depends. You know, are you happy in your Western job or whatever it is and, or East um, and where to move to and what career to kind of pursue? I think um, I see a lot of young Africans abroad, as well as at home, who kind of need that guidance. Yeah, I'll definitely connect with you. I think that's going to be huge. I mean, Southeast Asia, like the non-obvious places now, I think, are where a lot of geeks are going to start looking. Like Jack, like we were talking about with Jack Dorsey in um, um, Ghana, and you know if he's still going to go through with that or not. But I think geeks are going to start realizing that like the real interesting stuff isn't necessarily in the U.S. anymore. I mean, actually, there still is endless amounts of interesting stuff to do in the U.S., but I think like there's a whole extra dimension to it when doing it in other, you know, other parts of the world. So it's um. Anyway, welcome back, everybody, to a happy Monday. First of all, have a very happy Monday morning to most of you. It's a beautiful day in around Asia. Is it nice in Tokyo, Cheryl? Lovely weather. Yeah, Let's do this. It's lovely in Thailand as well. And, um, yep, there's, my goodness, this is truly phenomenal, the amount of inbound uh, headlines people are sending in. And it's going to take us quite a while to get through it, but we'll just take it as, we'll, we'll go as long as it takes. We'll just get through it. And there's a lot to get through. Um, but let's start as usual and just let anyone uh, want to jump in something hot burning that they want to share right off the top popcorn style feel free going once going twice okay i'll take on that that trudeau one for everybody now that joined in so uh here we go the the quick one is 5.3 billion uh for climate and advanced technology that's climate related for canada coming out of trudeau today so Anybody got some spice to add to that? So Catherine McKenna, here we go. Huge announcement. Justin Trudeau commits to double climate finance to uh, 5.3 billion, five years, including to tackle adaptation, biodiversity loss, biggest climate pledge ever. Very cool. So I've got this is off the heels of the G7, right? That's right. Uh, Because the G7 just wrapped up. So so we can expect the other six countries to also start saying something. And I wonder how the U.S. will. We'll, we'll compare. So I've got a perfect headline here from CBC, which is Canada. And the headline is G7 meeting ends with a promise on COVID-19 climate and mentions of China. Canada is promising to finance or donate 100 million doses to developing countries. I There was a headline a few hours back that collectively the G7 are going to get together a billion doses, which is truly fantastic. And the G7 has wrapped up with pledges from world leaders to take urgent action on the COVID-19 pandemic closely, uh, climate and possibly China. The world's leading Democrats have committed in a 25 page uh, communique. It is a French uh, Canadian um, 
um, publisher, so they use the word communicate, which I find endearing, to ending the pandemic and preparing for the future, as well as supporting a green revolution while dragging their economies towards recovery. On the issue of China, other than taking a hard line on respect to human rights, the language was decidedly and unexpectedly cool, given the rhetoric before during the gathering in the English seaside community of Carbis Bay. There is a reference to giving the developing world a safe, affordable infrastructure alternative to the Chinese financing, as we covered here, sort of an alternative to the Belt and Road Initiative that they're calling the Build Back Better World Initiative. <clears throat> but it does not appear as strong as the United States might have wanted. The group of seven leaders also pledged to share more coronavirus vaccines with countries in need over the next year, up to two billion doses, including contributions made since February 2021, the final communique said on Sunday, Canada's share is 100 million, a target signaled by the Liberal government on the outset of the three-day summit. Uh, so it's a combination, as the headline says, about uh, COVID, climate, and China. And um, I just tweeted this out from the Tech News Twitter account for those who want to read it in full, because we only just read the first little bit. Uh, so feel free to uh, explore on your own there, as we always do with all of these headlines. We tweet them out from the Tech News Twitter account, which is very conveniently and somewhat mysteriously the first letters of Tech News Around the World. T-N-A-T-W is the Twitter account, and that's just kind of magical how that worked out. But um, yeah, I see you flashing your mic, JT. Yeah, I was disagreeing with the the Twitter handle for anyone yeah. who was yeah, I, it just, it just, These things happen sometimes, right? It's just they really just, weird. Uh, I mean, I mean, one I might have an explanation for it, but I don't know how this happens. Well, first you had the UFOs off the coast of California, and now you've got um, other strange, you know, behaviors, and now you've got the Twitter account with the same first letters as the name of the room, and and people are people are people are starting to wonder. I don't know. People are really starting to to really try to figure out how that could have happened, and it's it defies explanation. But um, we're also noticing. Well, if you some... press the green button, you get more insight, right? You, you, as well as hair, as well. Yes. As, well, you if, know, you want, if you want, if you want to, if you want to dive down cool. that rabbit hole, cool. yeah. If you want to, if you really want to explore the 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 underbelly of what's really going on here, what you do is you click on the title of the room and you follow the Tech News Club, and that will plug you into the matrix. That will send you way deep down into the rabbit hole. <laughs> Although we we can't say for sure what's on the what's on the other side of the hole. <laughs> the other end. Yeah. No, we'll all find out together one day. Yeah. We're on we're we're sliding down that slippery slope together as we speak. So uh, um so thank you for that headline. And that's encouraging that there was some good news uh coming. It looks like it was a rather productive G seven meeting in Cornwall. So uh kudos to all involved. Without, without China. Yes. There's a lot of messages to China. A lot, well, yeah, there was a, it was a lot of, and it seems like, to be fair, that America was really trying to push a, a rather strong anti-China agenda as part of it. And, and I say that because apparently, as it was said here, um, that on the issue of China, other than taking a hard line on respect to human rights, the language was decidedly and unexpectedly cool. And what they given the rhetoric before and during the gathering in the English countryside. And what that let me translate that for you. What that means is Joe Biden came in all hot on the mic saying, let's bash China at this party, baby. 
And the other folks there were like, ah, you know what? Let's not just let's just keep it cool. And as it says, decidedly and unexpectedly cool, given the Uncle Uncle Joe's rhetoric before, during and uh, uh, the gathering. And it's because some, by the way, there was a really amazing 60 Minutes Australian video that came out recently where they're trying to figure out why New Zealand is being particularly cool on their China rhetoric. And Australia isn't being so cool on their China rhetoric and have now paid the price where China is now blocking exports from Australia to China because of their insistence on uh, referring to human rights abuses. And the, if you use the word genocide, guess what? China doesn't buy your shit anymore. So New Zealand knows that. And so the Australians a news outlet, 60 Minutes, hops over to New Zealand and watch the video. And before they arrived, they messaged the finance minister and the trade minister for an interview to 60 Minutes, which is a super prestigious outlet. And they said they were busy and couldn't accommodate an interview. I wonder why. I think they knew what the question was going to be from an Australian news outlet coming over to New Zealand. And they they obviously knew what the question was going to be, is why uh, are you not speaking more toughly on China with regard to genocide as the rest of the Five Eyes group has, which is Australia, you know, UK, America and whatnot. And so nobody would answer 60 Minutes' emails and request a response for an interview. So... He magically, the interviewer, which on video, marches right up to the Capitol and finds the prime minister on the steps of the Capitol and throws a, throws a mic in her face and says, so what about China? <laughs> and she's like, oh, shit. And it's a really funny video. You got to see it. But um, yeah, basically, it's as simple as that. If you mention the word genocide, China says no more. We're not buying from you anymore. And now New Zealand is uh, caught between... Uh, its allies and its trading partner and the G7 Europeans. Similarly, you know, there's some economies that are largely based on exporting to China and they they don't know it's worth the cost just to make the point. And it's uh, and America's already made the decision. We're, we're just screaming it from the mountaintops and we're trying to get our allies to join us. And it's that's why that there's that paragraph in that article from CBC Canada about how the rhetoric before and during the event was one way and that the the language was decidedly and unexpectedly cool coming out because in that the end of the day, the G7 didn't really want to make it, turn it into, um, I think by, by trying to force this genocide, you know, uh, narrative out of the G7, it almost overshadows all of the other things they wanted to achieve, like the climate issue and this new alternative to the Belt and Road. And I think they wanted to take a little higher ground and like compete by offering more rather than bashing China. That's my guess. And, what do you think, Florian? The, um, and the focus also, they clearly said they want to investigate the origin of COVID as a message. Ah, oh, oh, that's interesting. Um, without n naming names, we're just, yeah, that, that's where it gets really interesting. It's such geopolitics is so fascinating between these countries. And it's amazing how much it does seem like, you know, middle school um, between, you know, <laughs> between countries. And uh, I love Japan's role in this. And we were in Justin's room um, yesterday. And there's a gentleman, Ken, from Nikkei, Japan, 
who is the international or American editor for Nikkei Japan, which, by the way, Cheryl and I, having lived in Japan, both of us, we know Nikkei is our favorite publication out of Japan. And he, uh, work, he, he writes articles for Nikkei. And he made a great point, which uh, during the G7, there was a photo of the Japanese leader and the Australian leader having breakfast together, all very friendly and smiley. And he, Ken from Nikkei, was not surprised, nor was I. I don't think Cheryl is either, because now that China and Australia are on on the outs, have broken up, um, now Japan and Australia can be cozy again as trading partners, and because Japan, uh, frankly, hates China, <laughs> so they've hated each other for a very long time and probably always will. So, um, yeah, I, Japan. I think, yeah, Cordia, Cordia, Cordia. Yeah, they have but, to be yeah nice neighbors. Yes, Peaceful but neighbors. yeah, but Cheryl. Oh, but there's deep history there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm sure I'm sure Japanese love the Chinese uh, consumer market because Anna Anna already yeah. built a lot online shopping site for just for the Chinese market. By the way, yeah, A and A. Yep. Um. Yeah. There. I mean, it's a really complex relationship between those two. But and love Jap- and hate. Love and hate. Yeah, the Japanese are not going to come out loud like the Americans and be like rah 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 rah. You know, they're going to be subtle and do it in their Japanese way. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. So thank you for this summary of G seven and it all net net seems like wow, all of this uh, vaccine pledges and climate pledges and um, economic development pledges, kind of alternative to the Belt and Road Initiative. To me, I think that's the interesting one. Don't you, Cal? That 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 was the surprising one anyways. I don't, people didn't expect that going into it. Uh, no, that, I mean, there's a plan B, right? Right. Potentially. And we Huge. discussed this a little bit over the weekend but with Justin here and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I've always been like curious. I mean, as, we, as we've been discussing this over the last two or three weeks is, you know, for an African country, one, you know, and they're all going to be in different dynamics with their existing relationship with China and, you know, some of them in debt and some of them actually having really uh, benefited from huge amounts of infrastructure investment, et cetera. Mubana's on top of all of this. I'm totally sure about that. But it's just, you know, what's the plan B? How, how, you know, what other options do they have other than just going down the line with China? Mm-hmm. And now potentially another option. But the discussion of the weekend was very interesting. I think Cheryl brought it up pretty well as well. You know, the speed at which China works is just a completely different speed, right? Yeah. China's speed is so different in execution, in, in, in actually getting stuff done right. on the ground. So just don't know if this coalition of countries with the U.S. leading can be that fast to create a plan B. But uh, that's, a, that's, that's an ongoing, I think we're going to have to watch this. So, yeah, that's uh, something. So I wanted to kind of follow up with Cal there. Do it. Um, uh, so I remember uh, during Obama era, there was this whole Power Africa initiative, which sounded very good, you know, because as you know, Africa, I think we're at 20% of electrification, which is the, obviously the lowest in the world. And it's a huge barrier to industrialization. But at the same time, now, kind of fast forward to today, we still have those issues, but there's climate change on top. Uh, and I know, um, you know, in previous rooms, we've discussed um, a lot of stuff around green energy and how to uh, a transition. And I think there's two problems. There's one, the developing world, the, the developed world transition, right? You know, China, U.S., Europe, how to move to green. But then there's also the next billion or two that are hungry to industrialize, but maybe they can do that in a green way, right? Um, and that's where it gets, the, the problem gets really tricky. And so I'm wondering if Biden's uh, kind of coalition and trying to, build back better, well, you know, where does Africa fit in as far as power? Because a billion plus people are going to need power, right? We're going to need factories. We're going to need, but what can we do to leapfrog 
you know, make the same mistakes, whether it's like China or India, um, and actually, you know, you know, transition to green economy sort of much, much quicker. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really keen to see that. I think if the U.S. brings a really good power Africa to, you know, you know, with green energy, renewable energy, that would be amazing. Uh, even if it takes a little bit longer, I think countries hmm. would, would take it more seriously as they see if it affects of climate change. But, if, but otherwise, China would, again, steamrolling quickly, build plants and other things if uh, we're not careful. But yeah, that's what I'm watching for, a green power Africa. Yeah, and, that's, that. and the good news is that's going to happen uh, this decade, and it is going to be green. And it's going to be about a quarter of the price of doing it for fossil fuels. So it's going to bring a lot of people out of energy poverty. Um, I'm actually working on a project with the X Prize called the Abundant Energy Alliance, which is in parallel with their Elon Musk Prize. It's not developed like the Elon Musk Prizes, but it's just at the initial stages. And the idea is to bring abundant, clean energy to everyone everywhere so it's not just for africa i mean it's for the whole world but the the good news is that we'll address the fossil fuel uh, issue in africa by letting them skip over the mistakes we made but in addition it will be so cheap that it will it will reach far more people than uh, you would otherwise be able to do if you stayed on fossil fuels so that's the good news, and it's going to take a little while, but it, it's certainly unfolding as we speak. So it's pretty good. It's a good. It's one of the positive stories out of all of this. Thanks. Speaking, yeah. Hold on. Speaking of uh, Elon Musk and green power, Nalormi just sent in an article that I just retweeted from the Tech News Twitter account at T N A T W, first letters of tech news around the world, um, from the Guardian, and the headline is Tesla will resume accepting Bitcoin when it uses more clean energy, says Elon Musk. Tesla will uh, Musk announced uh, that Tesla will no longer back in May. Uh, Elon Musk said they would no longer accept the cryptocurrency for car purchases, citing environmental concerns. And that actually was sort of the moment when Bitcoin started to go south in terms of the price. And then Elon Musk has said that Tesla will resume allowing Bitcoin transaction when miners use more renewable energy. Here's the quote. When there's confirmation of reasonable, meaning 50% clean energy usage by miners with positive future trend, Tesla will resume allowing Bitcoin transactions, Musk the company CEO said in a tweet on Sunday, Bitcoin rose 5% on Sunday, adding after Musk's tweet. Musk also said that Tesla sold about 10% of holdings to confirm Bitcoin could be liquidated easily without moving the market. Uh, and um, the, I guess that's the update for now. Yeah, the, the, the article also does say that Bitcoin fell more than 10% when Musk made that announcement back in May. But it then it then continued to fall. That sort of began the downward pressure that uh, that it's been under recently, and maybe this could be the beginnings of a, of a reversal. And amazing to think that Elon can sort of set the trends for the price of Bitcoin in such a dramatic way like that. Yeah, but but it's 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 amazing also <clears throat> that that he uses this as a leverage to put pressure on people of greening or looking at green sources of electricity which is a very interesting move because probably he might also cause like he has done in the in the car industry you know that people need to move to EVs now here the same might happen on um you know on on the cryptocurrency side um which is great at the end i would say well there's a whole bunch of developments on the crypto side it is, and it's coming fast and furious like in recent days ever since the El Salvador announcement that they are 
uh, and it was very fast. It went from announcement to passing the law in the legislature within a matter of a day. <clears throat> and now there's been additional headlines from Cuba and Mexico and other South American countries that they're looking to get on board. And then in the past 48 hours, and we talked about it last when we gathered in our impromptu unscheduled special Sunday meeting yesterday, that now Jack Dorsey sent out a tweet that is truly uh, complexing, and some might even say disturbing, where he was uh, suggesting that Nigeria embrace Bitcoin, which they already do, and in, in, uh, more than most, certainly one of the most who, uh, user, users of uh, Bitcoin already. But it, it, this tweet came out hours after uh, Nigeria's central bank announced their own interest in their own central bank digital currency. And so we assume that Jack's tweet that Nigeria embrace, you know, further embraced Bitcoin was a response to the Nigerian central bank announcement of having their own central bank digital currency, which you could then connect the dots and say, ah, Jack is not in favor of central bank digital currencies. And in fact, he's a decentralist, uh, essentially, um, when you connect those dots, especially when you connect the dots that he also about three or four days ago also said that Twitter uh, it's only a matter of time before Twitter operates uh, in a decentralized fashion. And why would he put Twitter in, uh, and, and understand the value and the importance of putting Twitter, making Twitter decentralized if he doesn't also equally understand the importance of making the money decentralized? And w now you understand why he would make such a somewhat outrageous suggestion to Nigeria that they embrace Bitcoin uh, on the heels of the news that the government's announcing their own uh, digital currency. And that, by the way, uh, is quite a profound um, realization that Jack Dorsey is, becomes what's known in the crypto land as the Messiah, who's going to lead everyone to the decentralized promised land. Um, yes, go ahead. Can, 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 I, say, can I say something? Can yeah, I say go ahead. Something? Let's let Trust go. Welcome, okay. Trust. Hey, welcome, everybody. I've been listening, and I said, okay, Sam, I, I, I joined join on stage. Welcome. Right. So so about the Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk, Bitcoin, and Nigeria situation, right? So I don't know, like, a lot of people might be aware of the whole Jack and the federal government of Nigeria back and forth around yeah. the... It started from last year um, during when they had the protest, and, uh, and the Central Bank of Nigeria shut down, like, the transaction, like, physical transaction, um, regular transaction of currency to be able to feel the protest and then jack tweeted around bitcoin let's then you guys should use bitcoin or something of the sort right so that sparks outrage from 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 the nigerian government that oh we're trying to regulate then um i think early this year um central bank announced a ban on crypto on cryptocurrency and um pronounced it illegal right so that that in its own also generated a lot of buzz so at the end of the day then the federal government realized that oh it's almost impossible because the naira is totally crumbling and it's also almost imp impossible to keep nigerians out of the crypto markets so i think they decided to say, okay you know what what we're going to do is that we're going to bring our own digital currency unfortunately for them nigerians on the on 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 the flip, don't even trust the the central governments to make that one efficient, two uh, uh, efficacious enough for 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 usage, right? And it will like how they don't trust the process. Mm -hmm. So Jack and the Twitter ban in Nigeria. So Jack tweeting that suddenly mm -hmm. escalates that tension between the the government and Jack and Jack on on that on that level of Bitcoin, which to be honest, I don't have a problem with, right? 
I think that it is important that Nigeria, of course, the youths of Nigeria always have always embraced Bitcoin. We, we are like Nigeria is one of the largest um, population using Bitcoin, but the federal government don't like it, right? So, I, 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 I think that I think that it is it is time for maybe the federal government of Nigeria to 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 soften their stance on Bitcoin because you you they they really the arguments necessarily might be valid, but. It's, we just need to look for ways to work around this that it's, it makes sense for all parties involved. And I don't even also for Elon Musk, sorry, since I'm talking so much now, but for Elon Musk, I, I don't think it is healthy, to be truly, truthfully honest, to, for one person to have a lot of powers to dictate um, how the market swings uh, just by its weight. In as much as, oh, he's all for green energy, green energy. I, I really am not comfortable with the fact that oh one person can just switch and the market goes south or goes well. Trust is done speaking. Thank you, Trust. Uh, Mabwana, you had uh, a really interesting headline you shared even right before we opened the room today. Yeah, it's on the crypto vein. So this weekend is very interesting to see all the Jack tweets, etc., which uh, got me a little bit uh, concerned that he was really trying to dictate what Africa should do uh, on the crypto space. A lot of lot of tweets, uh, as far as I remember, I brought onto the stage. Uh, thanks for bringing on Jones, who's a fellow Tanzanian. Um, it seems that over the weekend, or at least maybe it was on Friday, our, our president in Tanzania, uh, President Samia, she has basically uh, ordered the central bank to look into crypto. Um, and, I, and I love her quote. She, I, think, I think it says, new journeys through the internet. Uh, she's, uh, this, this new president of ours who succeeded Magufuli, who passed away allegedly of COVID, um, uh, she, she's known for being quite poetic in all, all her speeches. So I'll let Jones fill us in on that because he knows more about the headline than I do. But I can, I can't ima- I can imagine that she's been getting some ideas from all over the world. She's much more progressive. Um, there was a startup act that's also kind of in, in, the, in, the, in play. Tanzania's kind of really bringing up, bringing, coming out from the behind from our last, uh, our last president. So I'll let Jones jump in here. Thanks, Mbwana. Thanks, Tyra and everybody else. We've been a huge fan uh, of this room and are so happy for Tanzania finally to be featured with its own headline. So following everything that has been happening from El Salvador and other Latin America countries, and of course what has been mentioned, not to repeat, uh, the president of Tanzania yesterday she has asked for our central bank, BOT, Bank of Tanzania, to start looking into blockchain and uh, cryptocurrencies just to stay ahead of the game uh, so that before the public catch on on <laughs> the fire. To be honest, there have been some few uh, trades happening with young people in Tanzania, and I think this is a way for them to catch up. But not to mention, when it comes to uh, uh, blockchain, the Bank of Tanzania, which is a regulator, has already been looking into uh, implementing what they call TIPS, the Tanzania Instant Payment uh, System, and they are using a blockchain technology supplied by uh, a company called Mojbox uh, and Mojadoop, if I'm not mistaken, which is also funded by Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation. So it's a very interesting space to be, and there have been a lot of movements on the ecosystem as well. Finally, uh, there are some conversation on something that Mbwana, myself, and some few other people in the president's office have been working so hard regarding the Startup uh, Act for Tanzania. And uh, the minister met with some of the prayers uh, last week. And we, what's very interesting about this is the president sitting on now, she's been in power with, for the last uh, 80 days, not even 100 yet. 
and sh the move that she makes really encourages players uh, in the ecosystem. Thanks again, Mbwana, for bringing you up to stage. And Tyra, I would love to get the word attention in what's happening in Tanzania uh, at the moment. And if at all we, we do execute the tips with the module loop uh, efficiently, uh, there's a huge chance because Tanzania is one of those markets that uh, interoperability is key with about 57 banks and uh, seven mobile operators, and all of them do have mobile money uh, services. And Thanks, how many? Um, and Tyler. Yeah, Jones, of those uh, mobile money, do they, any of those seven currently able to handle cryptocurrencies? And, and then if, if they don't, and if they wanted to, how difficult is that? And could you help us understand the cultural context of this president and how how much sort of actual real influence they have in making this happen. Because in some countries, the leader says things and it means nothing. And in other countries, it means an awful lot. And in this case, in Tanzania, the quote is, the president of Tanzania calls on the central bank to prepare for use of a cryptocurrency. We have witnessed the emergence of the new journeys through the internet. My call to the central bank is to start working on that development. And I'm curious, to, what do you think is the likelihood that this will happen? Oh, she means business. I don't think she's specifically asking for crypto to be allowed. Same thing that was done in El Salvador. Right. But for sure, she's pushing for blockchain technologies to be used further. And if you're asking about the cultural context, she's a Muslim, uh, we call her Mama, uh, and she's very strict uh, on certain areas. But the point for her to jump on the stage and announce this, it means the advising team, which is very young, dynamics, all went from like Ivy League school and uh, on her private office and also State House as part of her staffing team, they're very progressive. So for her to buy in the idea and actually include it on her speech, uh, it means a lot. And I see if there's anything to be, uh, to be done and the person to do it will be her as he's also gaining some support uh, for the upcoming election in about three or four years. Uh, yeah, Mabana So back to Tyler, yeah, if, yeah. if I may answer your question yeah. on uh, readiness for uh, uh, mobile money operators yeah. to, to jump on the space. Yeah. So regulation-wise, they're not allowed. So you cannot, you cannot uh, trade with any crypto uh, uh, if you're actually licensed. But what tends to happen is a lot of uh, traders in country, they would buy and sell on international platforms. And then when they need to cash in or cash out, they will use international limitance companies and then in country use mobile money to convert uh, cryptos into fiat currencies. Got it. But what, yeah. what would, one second, please. What would be the most likely wallet that people would use for crypto in this case? And because if it's the cash app, which is Jack Dorsey's app, now we understand why Jack is <laughs> pushing African countries to adopt Bitcoin because he's the maker of a crypto wallet of sorts. And I wonder if it's usable in Africa. And if so, it's kind of he has a conflict of interest. Yes, Jones? Yeah, that is very true. And uh, I know, and, uh, I know has, been, has been uh, trying to integrate with some of uh, mobile operators in Tanzania. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Say that again? friends who are visiting. Wait, wait, say I that again. I know for a fact. Yeah. I know for a fact uh, there have been some uh, movement as far as Cash App uh, is uh, oh boy. integrating I, in the I, country. I, oh but let's, boy. let's wait for the news to break through. Oh you know, boy. this is not official, but when you have, when you have, when you have we officials need the music. from a certain oh company. Boy. <laughs> oh boy. We have the music. No, 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 I'm, I'm playing the breaking news music. We are breaking some news here, folks.
We figured it out. Welcome, Jones. Welcome, Tyler. We started this yesterday. Remember, this is also yeah. with the wallet too. Yeah, yeah. And it's super and wild because he could take world domination with right. that. Because, <laughs> could go that route. Piece to it is the, sorry, uh, I find this super interesting. Like there'll be a battle coming the, the up Keisha for the wallet was... in Africa. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, sorry. No, the that's right. loop piece ties back to the Singaporean Central Bank. You know, so there was a headline about two weeks ago that the Singaporean Central Bank. Um, appointed someone to the board of directors. It was the same foundation, the Moja Loop. So I just wanted to close the circle on that piece. Thank you, Lakeisha. And Lakeisha, you just shared a headline, uh, just to mention it real fast, that in America, the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, has now banned... No, the Thai SEC. Oh, sorry, the Thai... Thai, 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 You're right, I see it now. I didn't realize they had the same name. That's quite unusual that two countries would have... Same, but different. Same, same. (laughs) Same, but different. That, hold on, hold. I have to explain. I have to explain what the joke that Lakeisha just dropped. That was hilarious. So in Thailand, there's a very famous phrase of "same, same, but different," and every everyone in Thailand knows the phrase "same, same, but same, same, but different." And so it uh, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> that was hilarious. So in Thailand, the Security Exchange Commission is the same were the same title as the agency in America, Security Exchange Commission. I said, oh, how interesting. They have the same name. And she says, same, same, but different. Uh, that was hilarious. But anyway, so in Thailand, the, the Thai Security Exchange Commission has banned gimmick tokens, what we call shit coins, and more importantly, NFTs, which are not really necessarily gimmicks, but I can I. That it will be interesting to see if other countries start banning NFTs. But back to the main meat of what we are discovering here, which is truly kind of ground shaking. Um, and a May, and we did have start this conversation yesterday, which is why is Jack meddling in African geopolitics by insti- by even insinuating that Nigeria should embrace Bitcoin on the heels of the announcement that their central their government is announcing plans to have their own central bank digital currency. And now we think we have actually cracked the case. And I don't think anyone else has. I don't think there's a single article written on this yet. And I bet there will be in the next 48 or two, three or four days. Let's see how long it takes the rest of the world to figure this out. Because Amay helped put in one of the important puzzle pieces yesterday, which is when she went to the Bitcoin conference, and this highlights the value of going to these types of, of events, she it was revealed that Jack is working on a hard crypto wallet, uh, which is a USB key where you store your cryptocurrencies off of the internet in a, in a very safe environment, separate so that no one can hack it. It's in a physical device that you wear as a keychain or you hide under your mattress or whatever. And similarly, he's also has his own fintech company called Square, which has a product called the Cash App, which is a a, 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 a digital wallet, which also accepts digital currencies or cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So the question always in my mind was, is... When we were just now on stage, for, we, just to unpack what just happened, um, uh, Mabwana invited um, uh, Jones on stage from Tanzania, where the headline today is that the Tanzanian leader, the president of Tanzania, is calling on their central bank to prepare for the use of cryptocurrencies. Okay, great. Now, how would that actually manifest and work technologically? Because they use what's called mobile money, which is 
kind of a payment system by the mobile operators, which is how much of Africa exchanges money through cell phone transactions through the mobile operators. And the question was, can they handle Bitcoin? And the answer is essentially no, they can't. So, okay, well, who's going to handle these crypto exchanges then? And Jones is now suggesting he believes, he has reasons to believe that the Cash App, Jack Dorsey's Cash App, is in conversations to facilitate those transactions. And now we understand why Jack got so excited, so much so that he even implied he's going to move to Africa, namely, was it uh, Ghana, where he just opened a Twitter office. And now we start to see why Jack is so excited about Africa, because if Africa starts to embrace crypto, as Tanzania is now the president of is just said, and he's now suggesting that uh, Nigeria do as well. And we're seeing it start to unfold in Latin America. And it could very likely Africa could be it play a critical role if the, if South America, Central America and Africa all start embracing crypto and notably Bitcoin and the cash app can play a significant role in that. And he and Jack does, as we've seen in other instances uh, lately in the past few days, he's expressing the importance of a decentralized Twitter, then we have to wonder if he's also a fan of a decentralized Bitcoin and the real power that goes along with that. And we have strong reasons to believe that he does believe that. Then shit gets really, really, really interesting of if Cash App will be decentralized for Africa and South America and and he becomes truly what's going to, he will be called the Messiah, the crypto Messiah. You'll start seeing headlines about that in the next few days. Um, and this crazy conspiracy theory that I'm ranting on, you will start seeing headlines about this in days to come. Yeah. Tyler. Yes. Tyler, it's a very interesting thing that you keep on using the word Messiah. Is Dave in the audience at all? Can't really see who's at the sun Which or Dave? outside. Dave McGinty. Dave. No, he's not yet. Let's okay, ping him. so it's what, ping him in because it's super interesting. Because remember what we went down the rabbit hole about revelations? Yeah. Okay, well, you keep on joking about crypto messiah, my friend. But let's not joke too heavy with that. Let's not joke too heavy with that. Because, you know, he could be the one, this could be the opposite of the light and dark. Do you know what I'm saying? Jack Dorsey could be the possibility of that person. Because if the EU is kind of going down this trajectory of revelations where they want to be in this sort of, in the negative way, let's just kind of play it out in a sort of a really sort of dark light, light dark sort of way. And Jack Dorsey wants to see the decentralization. Then you now see that battle that is spoken about in the last book of the Bible, as well as the book, um, the Upanishad, the, I don't know if it's Upanishads or the Sutras, where they talk about the, the age of Kali Yug which is the age of when we kind of come out of this illusion, this Maya, this projection of what we think the world is, and we enter into the age of Aquarius. So in some ways, it's very interesting to see this because literally, Tyler, he was wearing a tie-dye shirt with his beard, and I was just like, yeah. what the... So yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. I was that, kind of feeling the same vibe. I was like, this that was, is a little bit creepy. That was and really then, interesting. Hold on one second, Tyler, Chris. This, hold that this, thought. This ties I, in... I, oh. Hold that thought. I just want to highlight what Amay is saying because she was at the Bitcoin conference and, and there was a few videos and photos of Jack Dorsey who showed up on stage. And this is notable. This is really notable. He showed up on stage in a tie dye T-shirt with a with a flowing uh, hermetic beard um, of, of a kind of a Gandalf like beard and in a tie dye shirt with 
uh, sandals and in a, in a very barefoot hippie neo <laughs> Jesus like uh, a presence and a very uncorporate, like the absolute polar extreme of what a corporate, you know, person. Yeah. So, would Amy, want to do you think do you think it's a disillusioned individual that is thinking his Jesus, or do you think? Uh, no, no, is, no. There may be a deeper I, story. No, I actually it. think. No, I believe it's the latter, Cal. I absolutely believe it's the latter. No doubt, it's the latter because the way he managed himself, he was a professional. When that woman spoke the way she did, and she asked that question, he was going to go down that rabbit hole. It was the event producers that were not allowing it to sort he, of be derailed. He and almost going to answer. He almost seemed eager at the opportunity to have that conversation. You're correct. Uh, he right. But they stopped it. And they, they stopped it. Well, they were they, because they, as the conference, were worried. Oh, uh, clearly Jack's not going to want to engage in that conversation. And Jack's like, "No, absolutely, we can have that." Yeah, conversation. they made an assumption. They made an assumption right. that Jack would be uncomfortable, and but Jack I'm was tell, not uncomfortable. I'm t- let me let me bring in my own personal professional context into that as an event organizer, and I'm the moderator at my own large conferences where I have audiences of thousands of people and the biggest tech CEOs on stage and I'm interviewing them and I have to do this very delicate dance of asking difficult questions but not too difficult that they won't come back as a speaker next year you see you see the problem here and that person who was interviewing Jack Dorsey was in that same situation that I've found myself in countless times of hmm that somebody in the audience is shouting the really important question one of the really important questions. And, oh, shit, that one's a little too difficult because if I ask that, now Jack's going to hate my guts and I can never do conferences again because no speaker will ever trust me to ask them questions on stage because they know I'm going to throw hardballs at them and literally hit them as the baseball metaphor of throwing. You throw, we have what are called softballs where you throw a nice little ball to the interviewer and they can hit the ball and make a home run or I can throw hardballs. And then there's something even worse, which is actually trying to hit the batter with my ball. Like I'm literally trying to hit the pitcher in the head with the ball. And that's what this lady in the audience was doing. She's like, here, take this, Jack Dorsey. Here's the I'm going to throw this ball right at your head. And he's like, throw it. Let's do it. Let's. And he, in response to the hardball questions, was not dodging the balls. He was saying, throw it. Let's have this conversation. I'm more. That's I welcome the question. And the interviewer was like, say what now? Like, you don't want that question. That that question's aimed right at your head. It's trying to knock you out. And he's like, no, no, no. Please throw the ball. Ask the question. We can have that conversation. I have no problem. And that makes that, a lot of sense. That right. makes a lot of sense. He's now actually encouraging and he seemed genuinely accepting of the question because what he really wanted to say was, we're going to take this shit decentralized, baby. And that, that's his answer to her because her question was, you're meddling in elections. You're, you're banning people is what she was saying because she herself has been banned on Twitter. She herself has been banned, as our friend in the audience said yesterday, uh, was not Design Juju, uh, um, the Gabby, other lady, Gabby. Gabby, who was also Gabby. at the event, mentioned well, the context is the lady who was throwing that fastball at Jack Dorsey's head herself is banned on Twitter. And she's yelling at Jack, you're banning people, you're silencing people, you're controlling the media and the narrative. And here's this. I'm throwing this right at your head. I'm trying to knock you out, Jack Dorsey. And Jack said, let's talk about it. We let's let's absolutely we need to have that conversation right here, right now. And the moderators of the conversation were like, no, 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 no. We don't want to have that conversation. Jack's like, yeah, actually, we do in my tie dye shirt and my long flowing Gandalf beard, because what I really want people to understand. And he then revealed 48 hours later in a tweet is we're taking this shit decentralized. Yeah, and Tyler, then but nobody he, will ever, no one will ever be banned ever again in a decentralized Twitter, which I think he wanted to tell her. Yeah, go ahead. 
Tyler, he did say it. She, you see, here's the thing, Tyler, let me back that up a second. Unpack that little piece. You got the news 48 hours later. He did talk about Blue Sky right after they threw her out. Yep. To Sam saying he did answer yep. it, so you're correct. Yep. She, they threw her out, but he did tell everyone in the audience, he basically answered the question eloquently, that it was not fair. That he basically, in essence, paraphrased that he understood it and that he also recognized that the only way to be able to do that was to decentralize it and that they're doing a, they're looking at decentralizing Twitter and at the project called Blue Sky. And he said it. So he told everyone in that audience, but she wasn't in there. She left. But she was also someone that was it was very interesting because when you see everyone who was in the 5000 people inside the conference space, the 5000 chairs that were no empty seats at all, just an FYI, no comments about COVID because I tested negative two times, so I'm fine. But the interesting thing about it is the people that had access to that were definitely the people that spent over 1500 to 2000 just to get into that event and arrived at least a day or two early. So everyone in there, those 5,000 people sitting in there were from all over the U.S. and Europe that really made the trip out there to listen to this. So obviously as a mod, as an event producer, you want to make sure that you don't lose those customers for coming back to the event as well. But it was interesting because they immediately tossed her out and he went on to continue the, the end of his piece, which was in fact what he shared, which showed up in the news 24 to 48 hours later, which was that he was considering and is considering a decentralized version of Twitter, which the project is called Blue Sky, which is interesting because that also alludes to why Akon and Jake will be meeting in Costa Rica in July, because I think your narrative around LATAM and Africa is a big deal because when you look at the regions, and now I'm going to really share something about Latin America that's really interesting for you, Tyler, because you talked about globalization, right? There's one place, there's one location in Latin America that you will be safe from a nuclear fallout, and it's Uruguay. It's Uruguay. Like, if we ever, God forbid, got into a nuclear war, Uruguay is the one place where you would survive that nuclear war. And guess who has compounds there? The Bushes. A bunch of people, wealthy people, have compounds in Uruguay. And now you start to look at the narrative of what you were also speaking about, your globalization, the migration patterns. This is a much bigger narrative than people are willing to accept, but it's bigger. And it's a game of power. It's a power game. But then we could go back to Revelations and say it's uh, just a battle between light and dark. Hi, this is Shara speaking. Um, yeah, thanks to me for unpacking that. I just have a question around that decentralized Twitter. Has it touched upon how things like trust and safety will be handled in, no. in that context well michelin the trust in the trust exactly in safety, exactly yeah, the trust and the trust and safety michelin it's michelin right is it michelin? it's michelle but that michelle. works too okay, sorry michelin. um because it's french right so i just anyways but uh, moral of the story is try to pronounce the name properly um when you talk about um trust and safety of course that is trust and safety in one in what context because the security of the blockchain with decentralized ledger is in fact that it's going to be something where there's a consensus. And as Tyler stated several times, Yip and Yamika, because he knows I go down rabbit holes very deep sometimes. So he kind of pulls it together for me and I'm grateful for that. But basically, when you look at the decentralized computers that are approving or kind of making sure everything's correct, they are 50, they're like all over the world. So there's no way for them to cheat. 
There's no way for them. As you sort of mentioned, I'm aware of the structure of a, of a blockchain. With the so trust and safety in what context so, then? Trust and safety in the context that on the social media platform, I assume that most people want to feel safe. And sometimes the good guy feels censored because sometimes the, the system flags things that may not need to be flagged. Correct. And some people feel silenced. But how Correct. do we handle the bad guys? So some people, and I understand the freedom of speech narrative that goes with that decentralization. But I, I think that's also, um, it could be a real issue and it could be a horror movie right. if there's no trust and safety moderation. Correct. And I, and I believe that this is where, you know, it's super funny that you said that, Michelle, because you're absolutely correct. However, we're still so early adopter and these are questions that have to come up and people that have skills and talents like yourself, these, these are the individuals that really need to step forward and instead of saying, you know, like, what is this in being skeptical, but putting their skills forward and saying, I can help solve this problem and this is how I can help solve it. Because the reality of the blockchain is we need people like you, Michelle. We need people like Tyler. We need people like Akil. We need people like Cal because you all have talent and that's what's needed in a new innovative space because you understand the processes. You, you've been in different you've been in different contexts and there'd be more of an understanding of the processes that need to be aligned with right yeah That's i think why... it would be i think it would be interesting because i think most people are not aware that the things you don't see is because of that trust and safety moderation you could see things like literally beheading people being beheaded but tiktok is doing that pornography and all but that. tiktok is doing that oh, no, TikTok... TikTok is, um, I, I just want to say that that aspect of being able to identify the person trying, because on a single, every hour, someone is trying to put horrible content on those platforms. Correct. And that's millions of people trying that. So the fact that there's a great trust and safety, obviously people still complain, but there's a huge amount of work done. That's why you don't see, and excuse my language, but child pornography on your feeds, you know, but yeah. trust me, people are trying to upload. This Michelle, this is a really... This, okay. This, let me just say one thing. This is a very, two things. This is a very interesting topic because there was a beheading. When I was in Miami, there was a beheading on TikTok that I was trying my best to get. I was on my TikTok and I was trying my best not even to watch it, meaning it kept on showing up in the feed. I'm like, what the fuck? Pardon my French. But I was just like, what is this? Because in Europe, TikTok, you don't get that. So I do get what you're saying about trust and safety. But the unique part about this is that this also can open up a use case, which um, someone who works for... Um, Someone who's a developer reached out to me from Clubhouse that actually wants to solve the problem of trust and safety when it comes to the police officers and the policing of the United States. Like how these police are allowed to get away with what they're doing in marginalized well, communities. I'm, I'm and basically, you want your to be mic, able to find a way to solve You've got that. way too yeah. much wind going on there. So we're going to pause that. That's all right. So Sorry the – and we're, we're – okay. one can, second. Can, can I say something? Hold on, Victoria. I'll turn it to you. Uh, but we got to bring it back to the original point of all of this, which is the – um, Bitcoinization of the world, which is underway, both South America and Africa are picking up steam with regards to, I, I, I'm starting to see a moment, a swell of momentum now with, it'll be interesting to see if tomorrow there's another country somewhere in South America, Central America, Africa, or others uh, pushing for Bitcoin, because then it, then it will be a very clear indication that this is a global kind of a movement underway. And if Jack Dorsey starts making tweets um, to push it, help, help fan those flames, that will be very interesting as well. Let's keep an eye out for that. So Victoria first and then trust. Go ahead. 
I just wanted to say really quickly that it sounds like you're trying to take a centralized approach to decentralization, because that's that's essentially what you're asking for. You're asking for a higher authority to come and and snap things out of you know the the network, and that's right. that's not going to work um, just by the right. inherent nature of blockchain. Um, and just really quick, agency is a really big thing, and so is. Um, Oh God, uh, I'm, I'm having a brain fart now because I'm on the spot. Um, but agency and um, accountability, those things are extremely important, especially when it comes to CP. You know, if everything's on the blockchain and it's available for everyone to see, then you know who's posting the CP and guess what? Cops at your door, you know? So we need to think about this in a decentralized mm. way. That's all I want to say. Just to clarify, I was I wasn't anything. I was just asked. It was a question, so mm. out of curiosity, trust. No, I think I think okay, just, uh, okay. what, so, I think what Michelle brings up okay. as as the momentum for Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin grows around around these countries and decentralization grows at the same speed. The the question that Michelle brings up becomes a, a parallel discussion, and then collectively we solve these things. So I think uh, I think it's a very good point, Michelle. Okay, so so here, right? So, and this is what I think. From so, start from what, where we segue into. So, understand that for 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 the whole trust and safety thing, that I think Michelle spoke about. I think that that is really important. I think that is why it is. I I think it's really not nice, or I don't know that the individual who was trying to ask Jack a question has actually like put it out because that would have brought a, a a whole lot of conversations around this and it will probably be clearer. I'll be able to ask more questions and then we'll be able to know things that, the plans and how things are going to be done. Because at the end, like Twitter will most likely suffer for it because people want, would, would not long to be in a platform that like guarantees absolute freedom. Like no no freedom is absolute anyway. So if, if, if you're doing something um, that is not safe, it's only nice for that to be regulated. But for the Bitcoin and the developing countries and Africa, right? I think that the Bitcoin is a revolution to um, process to the fact that if you look at all develop, most developing countries, um, the, the currency, the, the, the tangible currency that they currently spend, it's not as much, it, it doesn't give them a whole lot of value, right? So Bitcoin gave them that closure, gave them that extra to be able to purchase internationally with similar like buying chest or, or purchasing part right that is why you see that maybe it's not maybe it's not maybe as popular in developed countries because their currency is quite good right, right. like the pounds the dollar and all of those stuff so they can afford they can afford to to to, to they can afford to continue using their tangible currency and not care a whole lot about digital currencies right but but for de developing countries who need that watches that's that's purchasing power they also need to find alternative and that is why i think jack sees that loophole and say, okay, you know what? I think the people who actually need this um, um, Bitcoin, who need this digital currency more, will be developing countries. And that's where it's be easily bought into. Because imagine Nigeria, you tell them that, oh, one Naira is equal to $500, right? And they're telling me, oh, I can also use the Bitcoin to get something and to be equal. I definitely will go for Bitcoin, right? So Jack identifies this in developing countries. Say, okay, you know what? I better sell this idea to people who are most likely to buy it and pressure their governments to buy into it instead of trying to push in developed countries that necessarily don't need it as much. So I think that that is the, maybe the wisdom that Jack has seen and decided to invest more in developing countries like Ghana and all of those stuff, and really interested in Nigeria being the most, um, the most populated country in Africa. And that's why he's really, really interested. He knows that if Nigeria buys into it, most, more often than not, 
Africa has bought into based on population. That's a good point. Uh, thank you for that. I want to add, James, can you, can you chime in here on if it's possible for South America, if Jack Dorsey is the Messiah that we're now pontificating that he is, um, or wildly theorizing that he's going to try and drive a decentralized Bitcoin and in South America and Africa, how out, uh, uh, how, how wild of a thought is this? Hey, good day, everybody. Uh, I, I don't think uh, the idea of a decentralized digital currency full stop is, I think is entirely viable, right? The, the whole point here is the Holy Grail is to replace cash. And uh, if you can do that through a decentralized manner, uh, yeah, there's no, there's nothing to stop you in my mind. We've got all the technology. It's just a question of user acceptance. Um, unfortunately, I think too many people think about money as banknotes and coins, and maybe gold bars or some other precious metal. When in reality, it's uh, it's a bunch of zeros and ones sitting in a bank account, provided you've got access to you know financial services. Um, in some server in some unforgotten place of, of a country, right? So for me, decentralized currency is, is totally viable because it's just the same as cash from my perspective. It's just represented in, in technology. And honestly, it's just human attitudes and behaviors that will really drive the adoption. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's Dorsey or anyone else. Um, it, it's human behavior that needs to change. My sense is from a technology perspective, all the tools are there. You know, when we have the ability to instant message each other, when we've got technology like blockchain, et cetera, that avoids double spend problems, uh, when we've got the ability to, you know, effectively pass tokens between each other in encrypted ways, it's no problem at all. We have all the, we have all the technology in a basic smartphone to be able to make it happen. Um, and uh, I see nothing other than somebody driving the customer education agenda and someone providing a technology asset that that establishes trust very quickly, right? Uh, someone reminded me the other day, what's the Latin word for trust? Credit. So honestly, <laughs> it just comes down to education and knowledge. The technology is there. And uh, whether it's, you know, a president of El Salvador or Dorsey, you know, somewhere it's gonna sit, I think, between a trusted digital giant uh, or a government pushing it out to its citizens. And we already see that in China. We already see that with people like Dorsey. The future is here. It's just not uniformly distributed yet. Thank you, James. That's all there is to it. Hey, let me chime in sure. there, if I may, Tyler, uh, on, on the centralization mm -hmm. of the DeFi, because I just made a tweet uh, and tagged TNATW okay. on the significant moves that China's PBOC has made. Uh, there were quite a lot of debate about how the digital currency of the digital yuan uh, is going to compete with you know, the big boys that have huge invested interests like the Alipay and the WeChat Pay that are really like giants yeah. of their own, not just in China, but all around. And PBOC actually comes out with a statement last Friday and said, guys, look, forget about competition. Okay, all these big boys are going to thrive together with us once we get a digital yuan, the digital RMB going. Uh, 
And a similar kind of um, note, although not exactly as explicit as the PBOC, is being put out by the Bank of International Settlements. As we all know, there are different central banks that are working on, um, you know, a digitized currency, a CBDC, uh, and they are all coming out and trying to put a framework around it so that there is less and less. You know, hopefully, the trust element is being built uh, through guys, you know, like this PBOC and the BIS. So I tweeted the PBOC bit. I can probably try to dig out a bit more on the BIS and post that as soon as possible. Thank you. I'm done. Thank you. Hey, Tyler, this yeah, is do. Shaheen. I'd like to chime Go in on it. this. Yeah. If I may. Okay. So uh, three three points really. One is that one problem with decentralized things is that they end up being too centralized. And likewise, things that are supposed to be centralized are, in fact, too decentralized. So my point is that it is really difficult to get to the bookends of the spectrum. It is really, really difficult, and I think it requires some really deliberate technology and policy to make it happen. Second, most of the solutions that we have that are centralized, you could make a case that they started out in a decentralized way. And they ended up being centralized because that was the most convenient way of getting them done, and the trade-offs were acceptable. I think we now have technologies where those trade-offs may, in fact, pan out differently, and that's why I think there is excitement. The third one is that the decentralized way to ascertain or, you know, acknowledge whatever is through voting. Now, voting really works well, but it takes time, and I think if you want to really shield people from Information weaponry, which is really what bad content is, it is a weapon, and to defend against it is going to be an obligation for everybody. So the only way to really shield it is to not expose yourself to all of it. To start with the more trusted communities, like we are on this call, and then gradually expand as you develop the trust and say, okay, I know that one. He's got enough votes. She's got enough votes. That's that's kind of the way I see it. Thank you. Okay, so there's been um, an absolute um, onslaught of fantastic headlines that people are sharing that I want to jump into some of these big ones. Uh, so we're going to sh ship on to other topics here. Give me a second here. Um, the first one is that we were talking about the G7 uh, when we started an hour ago and and how they were relatively light on china seemingly intentionally however the chinese embassy in the uk where the events being held has responded angrily to the communications coming out of the g7 accusing the g7 leaders of interfering uh, and political manipulation after criticizing beijing over its human rights record in Xinjiang and hong kong and the group of the seven takes advantage of Jingjing-related issues and engage in political manipulation and interfere in China's internal affairs, which we firmly oppose. And now I realize why they felt it important to do it, because Australia is essentially being economically slapped on the wrist for referring to uh, genocide. And so if all the large uh, democratic countries all together <laughs> say hey, you're doing genocide. Now, it, now somebody like New Zealand, anyone, if, if basically if everyone starts saying it together, then China can't respond to the entire G7 and say, okay, we're not going to do trade with the, the seven largest countries in the world anymore. Obviously, they can't do that. 
So by you to, by unifying and telling China, no, actually you are doing genocide and we're all going to say it together. Now you can't punish Australia anymore for saying <laughs> what they said. And so now I understand why the G7 felt it was necessary to get together and say it. It makes sense. Um, so that was an interesting tit for tat. Uh, Apple has announced the winners of the 2021 Apple Design Awards, even though we're only halfway through 2021. I will thank you to whoever sent this in. I'm now tweeting this out from the Tech News Twitter account, as we do with all of these headlines, which we do. you should follow. It's at T-N-A-T-W. <clears throat> and so the winners are, there's actually a, a new category called inclusivity. Winners in this category provide a great experience for all supporting people from a diversity of backgrounds, abilities, and languages. And the winner is Voice Dream Reader. And it's uh, the Voice Dream Reader does uh, the best in class text to speech uh, for vision impaired folks. And there's a, a game uh, called, or yeah, called Hollow Vista, which looks truly fantastic. It supports a wide variety of accessibility features, including an option for motion control. And then they do the awards for basically all kinds of categories of interaction. And you can see like what Apple feels is the best designed app around interactions and all kinds of new ways of designing. And I have to say, um, there's one particular winner that is near and dear to our heart here and is a regular fan of the show. The winner of the social impact is none other than our friend um, Be My Eyes from Denmark. So congratulations uh, to Be My Eyes for winning the Apple Award for 2021 at it, yeah, wow. it wow. is big. That's big. His no, name he, is called Hans. Uh, Hans. Yeah. Hans yeah, that's Hans. Can, I quickly, yeah. can I quickly say something? Okay, so so for for me, yeah, because I'm like I'm very very interested in accessibility technology because I'm visually impaired, like I'm blind. So for, for the for the voice dream reader, right? It's 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 a really amazing app, which I I totally agree with Apple on that. And for the be my eyes, like. The Be My Eyes is really awesome, to be honest. And one one app, I don't know maybe how it, I don't know, but it's, it's Cine Eye. I don't know why, I don't know how Cine Eye, maybe they make the list. But Be My Eyes is also like a wonderful app. Like it's always, you, it comes in handy for people who are visually impaired like myself, who necessarily need to maybe go out, need assistance here and there. And you just alone, I can easily get someone to help you out with 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 daily 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 needs. Like it's it's really amazing. I'm really excited for Be My Eyes, excited for Voice Dream Reader, but I don't know. Cine is is really also an amazing app. I think that um, we should also get like a, yeah. A, a so really trust. Have mention. you met Hans? He joins us here usually every day. The maker of Be My Eyes. Yeah, that's oh, why really we're very. Well, that's why we're so excited for oh, him. Really? Yeah, because he's. Uh, this is like the first time I haven't seen him in the room, so I just pinged him to see if he'll join us, and I just want to congratulate. Hans Jorgen Belberg. He's with me in Canada. Sorry, once he joins, can someone just let me know? Unfortunately, like yeah. Clubhouse haven't like, got to that stage where he announces someone who joined. But when yeah. once he joins, please don't let me know, please. We will. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this weekend, this weekend uh, Faraz, uh, his Capital Club, um, actually put Hans on the stage and uh, uh, um, uh, gave him a stage to share his entire journey, which is so helpful and and uh, yeah. inspiring uh, the, and then that's why i said i you know i've called out hands several times i um on stage the first time he came in i got emotional because i'm such a huge fan of what he does and i couldn't be more happy to see apple officially recognizing him uh, in this way 
he's officially being uh, his his app is officially being used at Dubai Expo oh, cool. 2020 by the way. Um other massive headlines kind of shaking the internet at the moment. Nvidia's CEO says we are on the cusp of a blockchain and NFT enabled metaverse and that is kind of a mind-blowing statement. Uh, Nvidia makes the chips that sort of enable um blockchain in some sense and uh, also ai development and the metaverse and by this statement that we're on the cusp of a blockchain and nft enabled metaverse is truly exciting because it goes back to what we were talking i wonder if it will be a decentralized metaverse that would be truly wild (laughs) uh you you think a decentralized twitter is interesting and that and it raises all kinds of very difficult questions around uh, compliance and controls and etc a decentralized metaverse where it's not just little snippets of text and tweets it's people walking around in a virtual you know kind of world um when it's decentralized and it's not under the control of facebook or any government or anybody and there's nothing anybody can do about it um it's almost a virtual anarchy type system. It's a world, you know, naturally there'll be some sort of controls, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that world develops. It's an interesting thought. So just, yeah. Sorry, somebody was chiming in there. Yeah, sorry. I, so, sorry, I I accidentally like left the room when I meant to unmike. So I've, that's what I've been Uh spending most of my time building. That's why I've been so quiet in the rooms because I'm literally building a decentralized metaverse in WebXR. And here's the thing, it's just a freaking website, right? Like, this is what Web 3.0 is going to be. It's going to be this 3D decentralized metaverse where all of our websites are essentially like our own virtual homes. Um, And a lot of, you know, bigger companies, they want to keep their walled gardens, um, you know, like Facebook and Horizon. I love Horizon. I built my prototype in Horizon like six months ago. Uh, but it's still a walled garden. But eventually, you're going to be able to just go on your Oculus browser, go to blah, blah, blah.io and visit your friend's house. And you're going to have a portal that's going to take you to Rec Room. And then another portal that's going to take you to Crypto Voxels and so on and so forth. This, like, this is something that a lot of us have been working on for a long time. So it's it's funny for me to hear like like someone to like this to be like news because <laughs> I'm like oh shit what I'm building is like in the news now not specifically what I'm building but you know yeah. the essence of what I'm building um, yeah watch out for that web 3.0 you're gonna be visiting your friends websites yep. and like um, Victoria's a great person to follow if you want to keep up to speed because she hosts fantastic rooms on the issue along with Michael on a, a weekly or so basis and you can see those rooms by clicking on the title of this room where you'll see the tech news club which you absolutely should follow and scroll through all of the upcoming rooms you'll see there's ed tech and med tech and vr and all bitcoin and everything um so please do follow the tech news club to get notified about that some other fantastic headlines at the moment is um uh amazon details a new warehouse robots called ernie and bert which um Americans who grew up in the 70s and 80s are familiar with Ernie and Bert, uh, the charming duo on Sesame Street. And uh, what, what a funny name for two robots. Uh, Amazon shared details on four of its new warehouse robots. It's testing to improve worker safety. In May, Amazon announced a goal of reducing recordable incident rates by 50% by 2025. It plans to invest another $300 million into safety projects this year, it calls them. And there is a video of Ernie and Bert, 
uh, in the tweet that we sent out, and I'll resend it out uh, now so that everyone can get a look at Ernie and Bert. But of course, Ernie and Bert are going to be taking jobs away from Bob and Sarah. Um, is my hey, I'm going to be in the Amazon. Don't worry <laughs> I'll be about chilling me. in the Amazon box over here, Ernie. Um, and Chris, sorry, I cut you off earlier. Uh, there was a point you were trying to make. I don't want to go down. It was basically a uh, long story short. You know, you're talking about shrooming yeah. in high school and stuff. My experience, my profound experience was um, I said to myself or shrooms told me, what if money didn't exist? What if they uh, created it before you were born to enslave you? And I kind of think uh, both the trees talking to you and that money premonition are kind yeah. of. Uh, well, there was. There was another message that I got that I didn't share, which was the concept uh, the trees told me about all of the man-made things that we have, like money and time, that the trees don't have deal with money and time and the nature, the concept of the clock, like it's two o'clock, it's five o'clock, it's whatever, like the nature, the animals, they don't play that game at all. And um, there's no, you know, time is a man-made concept and so is money, essentially nature and animals don't deal with money or time. And I was like, wow, that's kind of heavy. Heavy stuff for a you know a nineteen year old, uh, and again th those were very foreign concepts to me, uh, and you know at that moment. Uh, so anyway, um, Samsung designs stretchable second skin that tracks displays, or tracks. Uh, it's it's essentially adding a screen to your actual arm. Get this. I mean, you got to see this. It's truly wild. Uh, innovation here that hopefully the Twitter account will let me share it again so that you can see what I'm talking about. It did. So if you go to the Twitter account at TNATW, you will see Samsung's new designed stretchable second skin that tracks and displays your heartbeat on your skin, on your arm, and turns your skin into a display. As crazy as that sounds, but you have to see it to believe it. And now you have your arm is a display. You don't need to walk around with, you know, with eventually a phone maybe your phone will be embedded you know the dis the the inside of your wrist will work as a display and you can see the early versions of that right now in the tweet that we just sent out from the twitter account thank you to whoever sent that in um speaking of amazon a minute ago amazon pushes and many people sent this one in amazon pushing more into top tier sports with french soccer Amazon is seeking sports rights to boost Prime Video. And this is related to one of the very big meta conversations that we keep circling back to here, which is these digital platforms like Amazon, like uh, Netflix, are buying up all of the content because they are the distributors of this digital content. You are paying these digital platforms like Amazon. And as Amazon who, by the way, just bought MGM Studios along this point, uh, There's you have to decide as a consumer who you're going to pay for all of this juicy content. You can pay for uh, Amazon Prime, which includes shipping, but also includes a lot of content. And they just bought MGM Studios, which includes a lot of the movie titles and TV shows that you watch including The Apprentice by Donald Trump. And it may, in the Amazon and Jeff Bezos may now be the owners of all of the outtakes of uh, one Donald Trump using the N-word repeatedly, as is often uh, said at Hollywood parties. So um, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, and no doubt they will drop those bombs um, at, the, at the most opportunistic time in Trump's re-election campaign. However, back to the main point, 
Amazon is now getting into sports content because it, the way it works is if Amazon acquires the rights to uh, the super big s football games or soccer games or baseball games, then they exclusively own that content. And that content's not available as part of Netflix or Disney Plus. It's only available to Amazon Prime members. And you can now understand it's a battle for the content and who's going to buy and own all of the sports games. And if you don't have an Amazon Prime membership, no sports for you. <laughs> Good luck. Have fun. Good luck finding it on Instagram because they own all the rights to all of that sports content. So somebody's going to start buying up all of the sports team content, all the rights to the NBA games and NFL games and the cricket games and all of that and the race cars and all that and the horse racing or whatever. And the con it's con going to be a content battle to own all of the movies, all the TV shows, all of the upcoming um, films. And that's really what's happening is these big platforms, Amazon, Netflix, and to some degree, Apple are running to the film festivals, the Tribeca Film Festival, the Sundance Film Festival, the Venice Film Festival, the, the, where all the filmmakers are who are looking to get their films financed, their future films financed. And guess who's writing the big checks? It's no longer the movie studios. It's Netflix, Apple, um, Netflix and Amazon are writing these checks to finance all of the future film development to get those movies on their digital platforms exclusively. And whoever can get the most exclusive best content is going to get the most subscribers. And those subscribers then send in their money every month, $10, $20 a month to the platforms and the cycle continues. And you can see it's a land grab. It's a big race to see who can get the most subscribers. Whoever gets the most subscribers has the most money to fund the most content. Whoever, whoever has the best content gets more subscribers. You can see why it's such a critical time-sensitive race to take over this entirely new layer of uh, you know media. And by the way, you're going to see the, that spread into news as well. You're going to, and by the way, Amazon already bought, uh, which is it, the Washington Post. Someone's going to buy the New York Times. Someone's going to buy all of the, these legacy news apps, and those will be owned as well. And they'll be within these what are called walled gardens. Uh, so, in Amazon Prime. The content in there, you don't have access to it unless you're an Amazon Prime member. It's a walled garden. So is Netflix. If you don't have a subscription to Netflix, you don't get to see inside of Netflix's walled garden. And they're going to take all of this content, all of this news, all of this is now going to become part of these walled gardens. And that is the future. And it's, uh, mark my word, someone's going to buy the New York Times and put it in their walled garden. All of the content will eventually be part of these walled gardens. And you're going to have to choose which of these walled gardens you want to subscribe to. Um, yeah, so interesting headline on... Can, can, yeah, I, can, go I, ahead, can, can I chime in? Okay, so this trust, yeah. So I, I, I honestly think with this future, I think it's dark times really for, for content and, uh, and for, for consumers. I think it's be like a really, really dark time because I think that the best way this can work because at the end of the day, what you end up having, for example, let's say for instance, oh, Netflix has rights to the EPL to show EPL matches. And for example, and um, Amazon has rights to show the La Liga matches. What happens is, oh, you have to then force an individual to subscribe to multiple streaming platforms, which I think, which I think it's, it's terrible, especially for, 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 for consumers, right? I think what is necessarily doable is 
having a platform i don't know something like um dark communications or dstv or i don't know what's obtainable in various countries do is there is there is a hub where all these contents like all these streaming platforms are domiciled or for example you create a platform where um there is the netflix there is the amazon and there is the whatever and i pay single fee to this and they, they sort out how they 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 get their money from themselves instead of me having to subscribe to different content or different platforms. I think I think it's really really terrible because I want to be able to subscribe to just one thing and maybe get other things from that one thing. And I think that that is really possible if a company can come up with that, literally, and get these people and they sort themselves out how they will like do their sharing formula and all of those stuff. I I I don't, I don't think just like I don't know other sexual TV and radio stations do. I don't think it's nice to now have you buy all content, then I have to subscribe to Netflix, I since I subscribe to Amazon, I since I subscribe to Disney Plus. I think it's terrible moving forward on, on that level. And this monopoly is is really terrible to be honest. Well there's a Just whole other side to it, which is the VR worlds that we're talking about and these metaverse worlds, which arguably might be so much more engaging and people who use it uh, know what I'm talking about that the VR world, you'll never start watching soccer again. Because once you go into VR, it's like you are the character in the Marvel movie. And once you're an actual character in the Marvel movie, there's no point in watching the the, the Avatar TV show or, or regular film where that you're sitting on the couch as a passive observer, uh, being part of the character in the VR story in a three-dimensional, emotionally uh, overwhelming way is so profoundly game-changing that these VR companies have no interest in buying uh, up this two-dimensional content. Facebook is not trying to buy up films because they're focused on VR. And, uh, yeah. Tyler, can I share something that yeah. will validate that point that was just yeah. so personal for me yesterday? And Victoria, too. You'll love this. My son and I watching the NBA tournaments in the U.S., the National Basketball Association. There's a, we've got the finals and we're into basketball together. So yesterday we were watching uh, the, the Nets versus um, uh, whatever, Nuggets, right? And we're watching it and, and suddenly my son, who's 16, says, wow, that's, that's, that's almost as good as a video game. That, that, just look how clear it is. <laughs> look, look how that is. And I was like, and then he, and then he said, that, that's kind of weird. Is the, he, he called it an oxymoron. I'm not sure it was. But he said, like, that, that's, that's weird. I just said the video game was, and I said, yeah, I know. That's very interesting. You should, when you're old enough, you should join <laughs> tech news around the world. So there, That's funny. That's yeah, real yeah. reality. Yeah, we call it uh, um, AR, actual reality, or what's what's the word? We need a new, our own new terminology. So, by the way, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> RR. Reality. So there's um, a headline right now from Blue. Um, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, Tyler. Um, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. So just on the whole virtual reality issue you talk about, and you being your players, right? So what happened to then? I I don't know if like discussions have been made on how maybe this can be monetized or people who actually gain from the talents, right? Maybe soccer and all of those stuff. What then is left for people with talents, right? Who 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 needs to maybe sell their talents and make money from it? So what what is what is left for those people if I can be really induced in just acting up in a virtual reality, then what happens to people who want to sell talent? I, I think it's a slippery yeah. slope. Well, I, got, I don't know. I okay. have a couple headlines that are going to help answer that. Watch this. So right now in Bloomberg, this just came out today, um, virtual 
singers headline multi-billion dollar industry in China. Shanghai's Henyan Liu is the first Mandarin-speaking vocaloid. The company seeks to fuse Liu with AI to interact with fans. Liu New Year's Day performance was sparsely attended by pop star standards with only about 300 people in the audience. Then again, she wasn't there either. The actual To actually see Liu, one of China's rising superstars, some 150 million people tuned into the live stream on their TVs and mobile devices, the teen singer is a vocaloid, the first Mandarin-speaking computer-generated voice then synthesized pop star. China's the latest market to embrace vocaloids, the most extreme mashup of technology and music through... Um, they developed in Japan and casted their influence on K-pop. China has the biggest potential audience with the estimated 390 million people watching virtual idols, they call them. The accompanying animation industry, which includes TV series and comics, it's $35 billion in 2020, according to the media company. And uh, they talk about how these Vocaloids are wildly popular in Japan and Korea and now China. And they are virtual celebrities per virtual performers they're not actual real people they're not, not even real singers and they're performing to huge gr growing fan bases uh and you can understand how this is a threat to the likes of britney spears or you know uh um christina aguilera etc as we create these virtual um singers and performers and dancers and whatever that hold that thought that's it, that is one very interesting thought, and no doubt that will come to the West. It's huge in Asia now, and this is one of those huge... Some of us remember of course, Max Headroom. But here's the thing. There's a huge Vocaloid yeah. fan it's... base here in the U.S. already. I used to cosplay yeah. as so, Yeah, but that's, you mentioned a Japanese uh, performer, not coincidentally, because it started in the... This is one of those things where Japan is, again, 10 years ahead, and they're doing something that seems very crazy, that doesn't seem applicable to the West, but it will come to the West 10 years later, and we're now about halfway through that process. So in another five years, we'll start having these virtual massive performers instead of Justin Timberlake and uh, Justin Bieber. You're going to have some um, artificial AI-generated what they call Vocaloids. So hold that thought, because... Sam Altman, who is the one of the co-founders and former leader of one of the largest and best AI organizations on the planet called OpenAI, just sent out a tweet a few hours ago saying, prediction, AI will cause the price of work that can happen in front of a computer to decrease much faster than the price of work that happens in the physical world. This is the opposite of what most people, including me, expected and will have strange effects. And what he's saying is AIs are really good at uh, automating what the person sitting in front of the computer does with the computer. And the AI will eventually re replace the person sitting in front of the computer. And the computer will just do it all by itself. And we saw a headline yesterday around that exact point of people designing chips for AI are now being replaced by the AI itself. The AI is doing a better job of designing its, the chips that it needs better than the humans are doing. And so Sam, it's not a coincidence that Sam sends out this tweet kind of at the same time that headline came out. Again, I'll, let me read it. Prediction. AI will cause a price of the work that happens in front of the computer to de decrease much faster than the price that happens in the real world. Uh, and this is the opposite of what most people, including himself, expected and will have strange consequences. And what he's referring to is the fact that white collar jobs, including doctors, including lawyers, including accountants, all of these white collar jobs that happen in front of a computer screen are eventually going to get replaced faster than the 
physical world jobs and and somebody named Noah Smith, who's quite popular on Twitter and in this sphere, his Twitter account is Noah Opinion, um, very cleverly named Twitter account, says this is what's called the Josh Gans thesis. The idea is that AI will do for white collar work what machine tools did for blue collar work and that uh, the AI is a is a large intelligent machine and machines automate things and it will automate out the white collar jobs of sitting in front of computers. And it's a really wild concept. And uh, so it will be interesting to see if the physical, how how this will play out between physical athletes and physical artists and performers and the uh, computer jobs of people sitting in front of computers and how quickly those are automated. And, and I think it's going to be quite a bit of both. Uh, he's right, though, that um, the... AIs are not going to be good at, at, although we just had that robot article at Amazon. And by the way, Bert and Ernie, the two new robots at the Amazon factory, were two of four. There's also uh, Kermit and Oscar the Grouch. So <laughs> they have the whole Sesame Street team now working at Amazon. Uh, these four new robot types that you can see in that article we just sent out. And Sam's uh, Sam Altman, who sent out this tweet, which already has, you know, um, tens of thousands of likes and whatever. Sam is very much uh, and partnered. By the way, Elon Musk was his partner in OpenAI, just for context of how how smart uh, Sam is on these issues of AI. Uh, I don't take anything Sam says about AI lightly. So when he says it's going to the prices, the the value of white collar jobs is going to drop faster than the value of quote unquote blue collar jobs is quite a, an interesting tweet and prediction to send out. So um, another interesting tweet that JT on stage just sent out is a Google. Um, it's an, actually an Apple patent that a new patent that Apple is filing that allows you to control your smart watch, your Apple watch with gestures on your hand because the Apple Watch will have sensors that can detect what your left hand is doing. If you wear your watch on your left hand and you make gestures with your left hand, your watch will know what you're doing with your left hand based on how it feels around your wrist. So if you make a clenched fist, it will know you're making a clenched fist. It can use that as an input, like, you know, call my mom when I make a clenched fist or by making your hand flat, it knows your hand is flat and do a different subject. If you click your thumb and your pointer finger together, it knows you're clicking. If you click your second finger, that's a different click. If you click your ring finger and your thumb, that's another click. And if you click your pinky and your thumb, that's also a fully different click. So now you have four different types of mouse clicks on your hand alone. So your hand quickly becomes much more useful than a mouse. You can see what, how this works. And it's not only going to control your watch. It will also control your laptop or your VR goggles. And now you understand how truly wild this patent is because uh, the, the, the watch becomes an input device for your VR and your laptop and the watch itself. And your fingers become uh, re the replacement for a mouse. And you can do... Um, quite a number of gestures with your hand in that way. So that's, thank you for sharing that JT. I just tweeted that out and other really groundbreaking tech, this one even more. So if you thought that was groundbreaking, the headline from Reuters right now is this is not science fiction says scientists pushing for what they call neuro rights. 
scientific advances from deep brain stimulation to wearable scanners are making manipulation of human mind increasingly possible, creating a need for laws and protections to regulate the use of new tools. Top neurologists say a set of neuro rights should be added to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights adopted by the UN, according to a neuroscience professor at NYU's Columbia University. Uh, five rights would guard the brain against abuse from new technologies, rights to, rights to identity, free will, and mental privacy, along with the right of equal access to brain augmentation advances and protections from algorithmic bias. The right to identity, you need the right to <laughs> your own identity and the right of free will and mental privacy. You need the right to your own thoughts. The privacy of your own thoughts are, that's why he says this is not science fiction. Neurologists are not, and there it is, right there. This is not science fiction. We are doing this in a lab. We are doing this in lab animals successfully, according to the neurotechnology lab at uh, NYU Columbia University. Uh, you need the right to your own thoughts. There, there, let's leave you with that happy dystopian perspective for, for the moment. Um, and here's a related article tweet right now, 10 hours ago on Twitter from Microsoft CEO um, uh, Brad Smith. Brad Smith just tweeted 10 hours ago, and I just retweeted, and the Washington Post just wrote an article about what Brad Smith just said in his tweets. A gag orders to investigate the media, and Congress must stop. Our democracy rests on the fundamental principle of government transparency. Secrecy should be the rare exception, not the rule. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact uh, that in the articles that we just, just were talking about here for the past couple of days, where it's now been revealed that the Trump team under Bill Barr and the Department of Justice were forcing Apple to reveal data about their political opponents, Adam Schiff, and the, the, the leader of the House uh, Intelligence Committee, who, not coincidentally, was doing the investigation about Russia's meddling and interference with the Trump administration's election um, campaign. And so while Adam Schiff and the House Intelligence Committee are doing a deep investigation into Donald Trump's collusion with Russia, or Donald Trump was simultaneously doing an investigation into one uh, um, uh, uh, into uh, uh, what's the guy that my brain just froze? Um, Schiff, Adam Schiff. So Adam. they were investigating each other simultaneously. And of course, there was uh, the House Committee. The House Intelligence Committee is inter, is inter uh, uh, is uh, investigating Trump's Russian collusion, and Trump is in investigating Adam Schiff simultaneously, which is the abuse of power. And he was forcing through the Department of Justice, Bill Barr, did these subpoenas to Apple and Microsoft. Now we we now know it was Apple and Microsoft simultaneously that they were saying, "Hey, we want all of this data from you," and now you've got. Brad Smith, the CEO of Microsoft today, saying in, on Twitter uh, that to investigate the media uh, in this kind of way, because it was they were not only investigating Microsoft and Apple, they were also investigating the journalists who were reporting the outcomes of these investigations and the, these unnamed sources. And so you have the CEO of Microsoft, and I imagine Apple also did make an announcement yesterday, although it wasn't from their CEO, Tim Cook. Although you can imagine he approved the the communication that Apple sent out yesterday, which is very similar to what Microsoft CEO is saying today, is this shit's got to stop. You're you are fundamentally uh, breaking the system of democracy, and they're right. That is what was happening. 
by forcing Microsoft and Google and journalists to reveal their sources. That's what uh, Big Vladdy Daddy does. That's what Turkey does. That's what despots and authoritarian regimes do. That is not what America does, yet America was doing it under the previous administration. And now you've got the CEO of Microsoft and Apple and the journalists saying, hey, y'all, you didn't know what was happening, you know, a few months back. But uh, when Adam Schiff was investigating the Russian collusion, the Trump administration was forcing us against our will to reveal data about uh, Adam Schiff and trying to sink that investigation. And why would they why, why would Trump try and do that exactly? Why would Trump be so concerned? What what might Adam Schiff find in this Russian collusion that it's so necessary to jeopardize America, the, the longest running democracy on the planet? Why, why does why did Trump feel it was necessary to jeopardize 200 years of democracy? For fear of what? What was he worried that Adam Schiff was going to find exactly? Little little thought for you to consider there, especially Trump supporters. And on that note, here's an article somebody just tweeted in. Netanyahu out as Bennett is in as Israeli marks the end of an era. Similarly, Mr. Netanyahu was uh, essentially boosted out because of his abuse of his powers. And wow, what a coincidence. He was claiming that his election was rigged in the process of uh, counting the votes and whatnot in a very similar way. And it wasn't until the international media started making comparisons to Netanyahu's claims and Trump's claims of rigged elections, yada, 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 that they realized uh, how embarrassing it is to kind of do that kind of maneuver. And they corrected themselves. And long story short, Netanyahu's out. Democracy... Uh, saves the day, uh, lives to see another day. And I, I would just make a very personal plea here. As, as people of the world, as citizens of the world, wherever we happen to be, we are going into uh, these headlines that we cover about how technology is advancing exponentially, way faster than we, we are biologically or politically. And that's going to be a big problem because we're now getting into gene editing. We can't control that shit. We can't even control social media. Social media has got us on the fucking ropes, right? Social media is baby shit compared to fucking gene editing. We are opening a Pandora's box that we can't even begin to understand. You're, you're now, getting me so excited. Now, here's my point. We here. as Because we are about to enter an open Pandora's box of things like genetic ed- ed- editing and all this crazy technologies that we are not going to be able to con- even begin to control. And again, we can't even control social media and the impacts it's having on the planet. So my point is we as the citizens of the world need to become very careful about the people we put uh, elect as our leaders. Here's why. Because when shit gets crazy, and it's about to get crazy, y'all, you're going to get people running for office who take this very strong man, I I can handle this shit, tough guy stance. And people are going to fall for that. And we have fallen for that. And thank God, in the case of uh, Israel, they're now showing the tough guy with all the answers who starts manipulating and abusing this power because what, what we're starting to see a pattern here is these tough guys, these tough talkers who've got all the answers and only they know how to fix it. When they get in the office, they t- seem to have a hard time leaving office. Just ask Russia, just ask Turkey. So what I would suggest is when we start looking at who we can elect as the democratic nations of the world, I'm just applying to my friends who happen to have the luxury of living in democratic countries around the world, Let's, when we consider who we vote for, let's just factor in that the, the, 
if there is a tough guy running for the office, let's just consider that tough guy might not want to leave office. And let's just let, let's just put that as a hygiene. And when when the Republican Party says who our uh, front runner is going to be uh, or whatever your party is and whoever they have running on their ticket, let's ask ourselves, OK, should we not disqualify people who have um, wouldn't we disqualify somebody who knows absolutely nothing about nothing? Yes. If the person was an absolute imbecile, of course, we would not let them run. Okay. Well, also, if it's likely that they might abuse their power, shouldn't that be a red flag also? I, what I would encourage everyone to consider is if it's possible that the person running is possible that they might eventually overstay their welcome and abuse their powers and get corrupt, let's factor that in to the votes that we cast for these individuals uh, in these democratic elections, because um, I'll, I'll end the rant there. But um, anyone have a art? Yeah. Tyler. Ty no, I mean, that, you obviously you, you, you get that. That's why I hang out with you. You get me wound up. You have a point of view, you get it out there. And I think that's why people love, well, love, uh, being it, in this community just, and listening to you as well. I, I haven't so really, I, I haven't really yeah, walked no, out I mean, on the political cliff previously. Am I, no, I, no, I, I get that, but you're making a point about you're making a point about right. understanding power, right? And the and right. the seduction of power, right? Which is my lifetime journey lesson, right? Through from a corporate perspective, particularly, right? The the seduction of power and the seduction of you know I've seen successions in CEO you know, boards and, and, you know, I see that in startups and, you know, advice, you know, where, where you get these kind of power struggles and the, the smartest people become dumb because power just yep. gets to their head. Right. And in corporate oh, yeah. settings, that's oh, even that's a, more, that's a, that's so, a, you know, sometimes on, Cal, that's uh, a great point. Let's pause right there. If this isn't yeah. unique to politics, th this happens. And this is why Cal has lived this. We've seen this in the corporate world. It happens all the time. You, this, these strongman types uh, are all over the corporate world and you, you're going to encounter them in your own office. And you get these, you know, um, people who feel, you know, oh, yeah. Headhunters oh, love yeah. them. Headhunters oh, yeah. love them because they move from company to company. Just watch the XGE guys moving from, you know, went to uh, 3M. I saw that, you know, close. Like, uh, I'm not going to name names, but CEO coming into 3M you know, uh, completely demolishing the innovation culture, leaving another guy comes in who is not as uh, addicted to power, uh, you know, unleashes 3M, share price goes up, you know, twice, uh, uh, two times, you know, uh, because it's unleashed the innovation gene again. Um, but, you know, the, but, but, the, but the headhunters put the strong, you know, uh, person in, in place uh, and they move from place to place and mostly they move around, right? And so, and but it's the it's the idea that that uh, you know a single person is going to solve everything, and that person and these people will come in and say they'll solve everything. Yep. It happens in a corporate world. Yep. It happens in a startup world, right? And and uh, and sometimes eluded by this idea that a founder we got to keep the founder because it's a strong person. There are some founders that have huge amounts of uh, passion, etc but they're not addicted to power. They're addicted to their mission. And that's oh, a subtle but, difference, but, but right? Subtle, but, but uh, profound. No, there's a lot yeah. in here. Yeah. It's not subtle. Okay. It can I, not can subtle. I, can I, can Go ahead, Trust. Okay. Well, you, you in I, Nigeria, <laughs> you want to make a oh, comment okay. about what's happening in Nigeria this week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So, so, so what you're saying really hits home, right? Being in Nigeria, of course, like. So you, you understand? I also think that it is down to, actually talking from the corporate world, that's I'm like, what was it? I think it's Kayla or something. I can't remember the name now. Spoke about. Um, I think it's down to people not understanding human psychology and thinking that the brush way is the way to get people to do stuff, right? It's the way to get people moving. Let me give an example of um, Trump, yeah? Um, the people who, who necessarily Trump supporters think that, oh, being brush and, and being mouthy it's 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 a strong will and that is the only way you can get people to work and unfortunately that, that doesn't turn out to be the case right so you find out that people who necessarily want to think that they can handle all things and they can they can they can do things by their minds and by bringing the, the sledgehammer for, for for disciplines you find that these people end up missing the point at the end of the day but people who get successful are people who understands psychology and diplomacy, but to the point where people who you elect or people who lead corporate worlds and people thinking that not being diplomatic is you being being cool, that becomes that becomes a really really that becomes a really really problematic world. Until we are able to find a way to orientate people on human psychology and how you can get people to work and you can get people to do things and how you can make things work in your favor. Without necessarily being a, 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 I, I'm, I'm trying to mind my language here. Without necessarily being a stupid person, quote unquote. Um, I think at that point in time, that is where we can get down to conversation. I, like I said, like the hits home in Nigeria, of course, like having this presence and that we think that was a general. Um, and you say, oh, general, be able to take care of terrorists. Here we are. It's worse than he came in. Though he's a, he's a retired military officer. He handled this. He handled that. And here we are, it's worse than he came in. So it's, it's, it's clear that strong strong and being mouthy necessarily doesn't lead to great success. But we need to find people who are really, really diplomatic and people who are ready to have conversations when conversations are needed to be had and to bring solutions to some problems. Thank Trust you, Trust. It's an interesting paradox because in difficult times, uh, I think people are attracted to people who uh, are taking a very strong position. And, and project a lot of strength because we're in very turbulent times. The, the building is falling. We need somebody who's conf, has projecting lots of strength and confidence. And when in reality, yeah, go ahead, Ross. May I say something? I think Tyler, I think it's... Uh... Sorry. So, I've, you know, I, I actually wanted to address what you were just about to come to. Um, no, that's it. I mean, I think you got my point. First. Go ahead. Okay, so what Cal said, uh, you know, and, and me and Cal, we always get along on, uh, on on things around the corporate world, and I think Cal understands me a great deal. And, and as a man of the corporate world, and I hope my, uh, uh, I hope the people that work with me or around me consider me a leader. But in 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 a corporate, there's a very thin line. There is a very thin line, and it is a very tough one. To figure out, because some you you have to treat your corporate as a community. You have to plead to lead with compassion, right? That is how you do it. However, however, there will be certain instances where you need to demolish and destroy because you're building a community, and by by harnessing a poison pill that comes in. And you, as the leader of the community, think is a danger, 
even though maybe 5% or 10% of your community think that you did the wrong thing, in the favor of that community, you end up looking like a Trump. I hope that kind of makes sense. So it's a very, very thin line there. But, and, and sometimes even, even the entire corporate world looks bad at you. But sometimes you have to make that send. And sometimes you have to look like the bad guy as well. I'll stop there. Thank you. Um, Kieran. Sorry, I was just trying to raise the point. I think, uh, look, with these uh, millennials, uh, we are moving from this uh, kind of, you know, capitalism, you know, shareholders capitalism, right? So 20 years ago, um, you know, you had this, uh, you know, uh, we've seen that in finance industry as well, where people, same team uh, would be moved every five years with a big, you know, uh, guaranteed bonus for three years. You know, you're talking about 10 people, 100 million, you know, moving from one bank to the other, doing the same thing. In the, in the in the name of you know digital transformation that started uh, you know early 2000 and you've seen that going around the financial industry i think that's purely driven by this kind of stakeholder stakeholder capitalism right i think now we are moving more towards this kind of a sorry this uh, shareholder capitalism now you know we're seeing this there's a lot of this kind of a you know uh, people are moving uh, towards this kind of stakeholder capitalism where that the companies uh, you know instead of uh, optimizing for the short-term profits um, you know, seeking long-term values and you know needs of the shareholders and society at large. I think I think it is coming kind of mainstream in certain industries, especially within the ESG and the way that you know the companies are you know looking at how they should be you know uh, investing. It is coming, but it's probably not at the speed that you know we probably. So there's for. a couple, uh, just a couple of other really interesting forward-looking headlines at the moment. One coming out of VentureBeat saying that AI dominated the scientific output in recent years. UNESCO report shows that, uh, and UNESCO is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, today unveiled its latest scientific report, the massive undertaking. Uh, this year's report totals 762 pages compiled by 70 authors in 52 countries over 18 months. So we're going to read the whole thing right now, baby. Grab a chair. Let's dig into this 762 pages. Or I could just read the best part, which is the fact that... Um, Basically, a, a huge majority of the patents are now in this in the scope of uh, AI is really taking over a lot of the scientific output, quote unquote. Um, there's just been a tremendous uptick in the research of AI. Uh, long story short, so I just saved you, uh, you know, a month worth of reading that uh, huge scientific report, and you're welcome. And that's what we do here at Tech News Around the World. So one of the other <laughs> articles is about. Um, from Science Focus, and thank you to whoever are sharing these. My apologies for not crediting by name, uh, but we, we, when I tweet them out, uh, you can see who tweeted them in. Um, <clears throat> the One of the uh, create inventors of the internet, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, thinks his creation, the internet, is out of control and he has a plan to save it. Computer scientist Tim Berners-Lee is best known as the inventor of the World Wide Web and uh, his plans to help us reclaim our personal data from... Silicon Valley. Well, geez, Tim, that's maybe you should stop by Tech News Around the World where we talk about that every day. Um, and that is a, a huge, huge issue. And in this article, I won't read it all, but you should. So that's why we are tweeting it from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. And you can read all about how one of the inventors of the web feels about the fact that our data is now out of our hands as the people and how he plans to put it back in our hands. A truly interesting article. And um, another interesting one here is that uh, just like AI is booming in terms of innovation and the number of patents that are being applied for and whatnot, this article from Forbes that I'm tweeting out says that uh, 10,000 companies now 
a total $4 trillion in value uh, in the space race. And it's not just SpaceX. Elon Musk, SpaceX might get all of the headlines, but there are now a huge number of companies who are competing to open up an unprecedented level of human access to space. The U.S. now has a lot of space-focused companies. How many do you think, Cal? How many space-focused companies are there in the U.S. alone? In the U.S., not globally. Um, uh, I, let's. let's uh, say anybody else? Take a guess. Chris? Anyone 3, else? 3,000. Take a guess. Anybody? The whole ecosystem, the right? US. So that's going to be, I'd say, I'll go with the 5, other. Yeah, three. stop 5, Googling. 5, the answer is 5,582. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Karen Google is always on well. the Google. So um, there's now 5,000 space companies in the U.S. alone, uh, 10,000 globally, worth $4 trillion in value. Interesting that half of them are in the U.S., 5,000 of them. And there's a beautiful pie chart of them and all the different categories that they fit into. All 10,000 logos crammed into a, an image. It's quite a hilarious image. So uh, I will retweet that out from the Tech News Twitter account that you can easily find at TNATW. And if you put your thinking hat on, you'll notice that TNATW, our Twitter account, are also the first letters of tech news around the world. Let that sink in for a second. Just marinate with that crazy. We should do a sub room on that. <laughs> what what are the odds of that one? That's just it's That's a true wild good. coincidence. Uh, causation, correlation, you be the judge. Um, one other article here <clears throat> that we touched on yesterday, and we and and I'm happy to say we got some really interesting insights from people on the ground in China about this interesting headline that's going around in the West, which says um the the brutal working conditions behind China's tech boom which is known as 996 which is popularized by Alibaba's um leader uh, Jack Ma <clears throat> and 996 very simply is the idea that they work 9am to 9pm 6 hours a day one day off a week and that's the 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 Chinese standard in the tech industry 996 and now uh, it's being reported rather widely in the Western tech press that uh, people are saying we're done with 996. We don't want to go back to 996 after COVID. And then we talked about this in our last meeting and there were people from China on stage who said what this is really about. The phrase that they use internally, if you translate it into English, is lying down. It's two Chinese characters, one for lying, laying, you know, flat, and the other for flat, actually. it's like. It's actually called tanping. Tanping actually lying flat. The lying second flat. character in in Chinese or in Japanese yeah. is 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 the word in. for flat, and the first character is the word for kind of reclining, yeah, reclining flatly, lying, to, to yeah. put it literally. And uh, and I know yes. that because it's the same in Japanese as it is in Chinese. And so anyway, um, and so lying flat is the new approach in China, and it implies the tech journalists are taking this as a signal that. Ah, people don't want to work 996 anymore. They want to kick back. They want to lay back, as we say in California, kick back. And in reality, that isn't. These tech journalists in the West are actually misinterpreting what the Chinese folks are saying when they mean lying flat. It actually means something quite different. So my, my tech journalist friends in the West, I would encourage you to learn a little Chinese or Japanese and so that you can actually understand what the fuck they actually mean 
What they mean is Alibaba and Jack Ma, uh, Jack Ma noticeably essentially was disappeared uh, when he was about to IPO and financial and have the, one of the world's largest IPOs in, in IPO history. And the Chinese government said, not so fast, Jack. Hold the phone, Jack. No IPO for you this year. This world's biggest IPO. Yeah, we've been thinking about it. And after all, maybe it's just better that you just disappear. So he did. Jack disappeared and the IPO was shelved. No IPO for you, Jack. And since then, Jack's been taking a very low profile. And that's a hint to what this really means. He's been laying back. He's been kicking back, laying flat. And the Chinese tech industry themselves, the future, and by the way, it's not just Jack Ma. It was also uh, the CEO, Pinduoduo, the world's fastest growing startup. Literally, the world's fastest growing startup called Pinduoduo. The CEO mysteriously resigns. And so did another leading tech company uh, in in China, also mysteriously kind of laid back and kind of resigned. And what is this all about? And by the way, all the tech companies are being, you know, kind of, a lot of regulation being cracked down, a lot of big fines, billion dollar fines, et cetera, et cetera. Jack Ma's laying back, Pinduoduo's founders laying back. And that's why the tech ecosystem in China is now, yeah, ByteDance. ByteDance TikTok's founder was the other, also one of the world's fastest growing company, also resigned and is now laying back. And so this laying back, what it is, is it's about not getting squashed like our friend Jack did. It's about not getting standing up and pushing because Jack Ma was the very American-esque maverick of jumping up and down on stage with a mohawk and a guitar, jumping, thriving, reaching for the sky, as he was known to do. And everyone followed along. And it created incredibly, massively huge and, and, a, and huge number of super huge tech companies in China. And now that Jack Ma got the shit beat out of him, now they're thinking, hey, let's lay back. Let's kick back. And that's the cultural context of the layback movement. It's let's lay low. Keep your head down. Don't jump around on stage with a mohawk like Jack Ma. Don't go on conferences and say that the banking system is stupid in China like Jack Ma did. Because you're going to get the living shit beat out of you. And you're going to get your big IPO dream, the biggest IPO in history. Your big golden day in the sun is going to get ripped from your hands by the government. So let's not do that. Let's not do what Jack Ma did. Let's lay back. Let's do what Jack's doing now and lay back and kick back. So it's a little bit. Yeah. Tyler, can I Go ahead. Share, share a context from yeah. my experience in, in China, just uh, on how uh, those kind of messages get disseminated. So um, they get number one, there's a big statement like the one Jack Ma, etc. Right. Absolutely big one. And then it's conversation after conversation over dinner after dinner after dinner. It cascades down all the way to the regional businesses, to the city mayors. And I've been in those discussions on other discussions, other things that they wanted to push through from the center, right? And those discussions start happening. And then, you know, like little conversations, long dinners, you know, oh, by the way, you know, this is what happened to Jack Ma. This is what happened, oh, by the way. And then the message, this particular message uh, fits down. If you notice, um, you know, uh, a lot of very senior, um, strongly view, uh, opinionated Chinese leaders are also laying low on this platform recently, a lot more than before, right? And that continues, it's just a very, very smart, and I'm saying this with respect, it's a smart, sophisticated way to implement things, right? That's how China Speed works. 
China speed is speedy at times and then conversationally kind of, uh, you know, deep at times. It's, it's a very, very strong way that they operate. And, uh, and so, so you start to see behavior change happening in subtle ways and, and in very explicit ways. So that, um, there's, there's, I think that, to, just on what Carl that. said quickly, I think that's really balanced, Carl, because, you know, you, you've worked there, you understand the culture. I think like sometimes if people are popping into the room, it seems like we're, we're all at um, China and then other, I just think, you know, it, it, it's a, it was a good balanced kind of, you know, go really fast, but then the cultural sensitivities, the whole, like, I'm just giving you the mechanism by which it operates that I experienced, yeah. right? I'm not. I'm not giving you a judgment on on, uh, yeah. on China in that perspective. I do have my perspective, though, that I, I do think overall it does. Um, it, 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 the CCP has things that it does that are uh, uh, very unethical. So I, yeah. I'm just being open on that. I'm not saying, you yeah, know, sure. but I, I, I do respect the methods by which they work. And it seems like the whole world is under like an over, overall 1984. Um, you know, thought police type thing, i.e. we've just had the same frame within America talking about the elections there. So it's like, I suppose the point that I'm making is that, you know, there's a macro point of like, you know, there's censorship all over the place. But, um, and I'm not defending China or or any of the stuff that goes on because the Uyghur stuff is not good, blah, blah, blah. But I just think it's it's balanced is what I'm saying. Is, is, is the Dave, we're, we're glad you're back here. I think we pinged you into the room, right? <clears throat> and the reason we pinged you was because we were on the topic of Jack Dorsey as Jesus, as the Messiah. And how the hell did we get to that conclusion? Well, <laughs> because he showed up at the Bitcoin. Co- we thought yeah. Messiah and we thought, we thought you would like this little um, th- this rabbit hole that we found. And we encourage you to we're trying to pull you down this rabbit hole. So please uh, start the slippery slope if you would. The here's how it goes. Jack showed up in Miami at the Bitcoin conference wearing an actual tie dye T-shirt and a, and a Gandalf beard. A graying Gandalf beard. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you can see the photos. We tweeted them from the Tech News Twitter account. And he sat very calmly on stage as somebody from the stage who was banned on Twitter was screaming in the front row, you're banning people, you're silencing people, you're just, you know, meddling in all kinds of power dynamics. And, you know, I'm throwing this softball straight at your head because the interviewer's throwing you softballs for you to hit home runs. And I'm going to throw you a softball right at your damn head and try and knock you out, Jack. And Jack very calmly said, let's talk. Let's talk about it. (laughs) We can talk about it, he said. Let's talk about it. Like, for real. Like, I'm not even bluffing. Like, for real, we should talk about this. And the interviewer kicked the lady out of the room and changed the topic because he thought, well, I'm not going to throw the softball at Jack's head. He, He flew all the way here. We're lucky to have him as a conference organizer. Holy shit, I can't believe I got Jack Dorsey to speak at my event. How lucky am I? So I'm not going to now that he's accepted, the last thing I'm going to do is throw a softball and try and knock him out here on stage in front of all of these people who are, you know. So but anyways, he actually did want to answer that lady's question. And we know this because 48 hours later, somebody asked him on Twitter, why don't you make a decentralized Twitter to oversimplify? And Jack's response was, yeah, we're gonna. It's only a matter of time. And that. (laughs) A decentralized Twitter, if he, which by the way, Jack has two interests in life, Twitter and Bitcoin. And if he is making a decentralized Twitter, uh, what do you think he's going to do about Bitcoin? 
So the, uh, if he's if he's going to yeah. put and he, if he understands the power and the importance of decentralization, which he clearly does, and he's saying he's making it's only a matter of time before Twitter becomes decentralized, then wouldn't it make sense? He also wants Bitcoin to be decentralized because he really seems like a Satoshi um, apostle. No pun intended. He certainly starting to look like one, actually starting to dress like one. Does, is, does, does, would he would he kind of rail against the whole, uh, you know, um, oh boy, Dave, you just fell into the yeah, whole fucking yeah, rabbit hole. Yeah. Watch this. So 48 hours ago, exactly. the Nigerian government just came out and said, we have plans for a D- our own central bank digital currency. Minutes later, Jack Dorsey sends out a very mysterious tweet of the Nigerian flag handshaking Bitcoin saying don't go for the Nigerian <laughs> bank central digital central bank digital currency, which you're right. You just you just connected the dots, Dave. Clearly, he's implicating and implying that Nigeria should go with the decentralized Bitcoin route. Now it gets more interesting because just an hour ago, for those who missed it, we had something truly miraculous happen on stage here. Mabwana, who joins us regularly, and now Maria wants to jump in. Welcome, Maria. Uh, Mabwana invited his friend from Tanzania on stage named Trust, who's still on stage with us. And Trust said, by the way, Tanzania president today in the last few hours just announced that she would like Tanzania to embrace cryptocurrency, that this is the future and we need to embrace the future. Is it Jones or Jones or Trust? Jones, right? Jones, oh, yeah, sorry. It was Jones. Jones. Trust, but, but I'm sorry. You're right. It was Jones. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Yeah. So Jones from Tanzania jumps on stage and says, yeah, our president just announced we want to get into crypto. And here's where it gets really interesting, because I, I asked I posed the question, how would this physically technologically manifest itself uh, if they're going to do crypto in Tanzania? Because Tanzania, like many African countries, uh, does payments through mobile money, which is tied to the telecoms. Right, who enable these uh, transactions to happen on the on the phones? And I said, do those tra- do those transactions do those uh, mobile money accounts enable crypto transactions? And the answer was no, they don't. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so they would need some other kind of. In fact, they're not really able to or allowed to regulatory wise. They're not. They wouldn't be allowed to. Okay, so there would need to be some other kind of third party solution, some kind of wallet to enable these crypto solutions. And it turns out according to Jones, that Jack Dorsey is pushing to have uh, crypto wallets in Africa. And that's where it gets really interesting, because if he's pushing the Bitcoin point of uh, non-central bank digital currencies in Africa, and he is also providing the technical ability to do it, he's now got a sort of invested or kind of a, a, a conflict of interest here in, in meddling in international politics by suggesting that they yeah. do this because he's providing the solution for it. And it's also he also revealed at that Miami event that he's also going to, going to have a hardware wallet, which truly speaks to a more decentralized approach. This is, yeah. And there's a theme, there's a global theme going on because also if you look at what happened in Lebanon, I, I tweeted, I, I think yesterday, the currency drops yeah. to a new low, financial meltdown deepens. So it's like these, these global crises right. going on within countries. And and if you really want to understand this, right, for, for those who want to kind of do a bit of research on it, 
I've just I've just tweeted um, Eric Weinstein, and he talks about the the kind of macroeconomic stuff and about gauge theory and about the CPI inflation. Like it, it is really fascinating. Even if you don't like Eric Weinstein, he gets a good grilling from these guys. But you will then fully understand the printing of money, the the, the kind of this these macro concepts. He talks about the different economists, about Condiment, about the the old school guys. It is amazing. Why would I say you should spend an hour of your time doing that? Because you will read headlines in a completely different light. So yeah, I just commend it to you. I've tweeted. So this to, is to where people need to pay close attention to what's going to happen in the next 48 hours because literally this could be a very important 48 hours for the planet earth why do i sound so crazy here here's why because with ever since the el salvadorian president made the announcement that he's going into bitcoin and the government voted it in it's official the government is recognizing bitcoin as an official legal tender of el salvador and now you cuba in and mexico and nicaragua have all chimed in on that topic and now you've got in africa uh jack making his statements you've got tanzania making their statements it will be very very interesting if in the next 48 hours you get other developing regions uh either south america central america um african leaders making comments about bitcoin because yeah, and on your, yeah. on your on your first question, maybe Jack sees himself as a bit of a 2021 thug Jesus, right? Because he's 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 in effect overturning the tables of the money changers and kicking over the benches of the and, dove sellers and the political the political system too, right? He has the ability. Oh yeah, uh, to control. You know, I mean, so he's controlling both the political realms, the financial realms. So you know. He, he is Jesus for the commoner. I do like a bit of Jesus. By the way, he was a thug. He did not like the Pharisees. He did not like, he would not like, you know, we were talking about the strong men who like basically say they're going to get out of power. They're in effect the Pharisees. And, you know, if you read any of the New Testament, you'll find out that Jesus didn't really have much to say, good things to say about the Pharisees, but he did hang around with prostitutes and alcoholics so, and those. Who so there's hope for you and me after all, David. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyler, <laughs> yes. Tyler, I just went down the yeah. rabbit hole a little bit further, and Amy, I'm not. I'm not even sure there's actual any more. I I can't believe there. It can go much deeper. There is. We we come up with the point that Satoshi and Jack Dorsey are actual Jesus, and you're saying you've gone deeper. He's going to go all the way to the other side of that. Exactly. Are the, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> are the UFOs somehow exactly. involved, Amy? <laughs> You never know, they might, but I actually, this one's more on the, on the countryside. Um, Gabriel Silva, uh, the deputy to the National Assembly of Panama, has already reposted one of Bukele's tweets and announced he's looking to draft a proposal to put his, his parliamentary colleagues in line with what they did. He said, Panama cannot be left behind. If we want to be a true technology and entrepreneur, entrepreneurship hub, we have to support cryptocurrencies. And that came from Gabriela Silva, who is the National Assembly of Panama. So this is where it's going to be very, very, very. Uh, I think Central America is going to go next. Yeah, Not I mean, South look at America, what, Central. Look at look at what's happening. This is the dollar hegemon facing headwinds. 
this is the Belt and Road Initiative facing headwinds. Yeah. It it's it's like the it's like the it's like the prom where like, you know, you think the two popular kids are gonna be going at it and then the nerds like exactly. gather the votes and win win the high school prom, you know? I love it. Exactly. That's exactly that was that was it, Tyler. So, oh, oh, Chris, oh, oh, Chris. So either that, or is uh, because you know these crypto guys made a lot of money in the last um, eighteen months. Either someone is just walking around with a lot of a lot of these cryptos going around these Latin American countries, you know, bribing them, uh, you know, in a way that uh, because look, I mean, COVID, right? Uh, uh, now we the economies are coming back. The travel has been cut down. A lot of these economies mainly depend on you know travels, um, and uh, the interest rates in the US is going to go higher. A lot of these debts. Emerging yeah, I mean, my mom's a idea. my mom's a restaurateur in LA, like at LAX. She's got this Mongolia barbecue. Sorry for the plug. Yummy. I'll give you the Bitcoin. Um, but she told me today her her meat price is literally Chris, is doubled the one in a week. In, exactly. You know, like you in, that's where in Koreatown. Where's the so Mongolian you, you, barbecue? So you, uh, it's it's okay. uh okay. in Westchester, right next to the airport. Right. It's uh, three okay. flames. It's been there forever. I'll, I'll hit. I'll hit okay. it. I'll, I'll I will be there next time. I'm in town. On the Panama side, though. Fiona. Go ahead, Fiona. Fiona's saying something. Oh, it's okay. Um, sorry. Hold on, Karen. Karen. I think Karen. got our drones. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we have some of our drone and and uh, forest conservation projects going deep in the jungles of, of Panama, but you know. No pun intended. Nobody's paying for the water and nobody's paying their taxes. And here's the question. Is the Panama Canal salt or fresh water? Salt. Great question. Both. <laughs> fresh. It's, there you go. It's fresh. So who's paying for all the exactly. mess of what <laughs> we're taking out? Why are they not reforesting? And since it's got all these tax-free zones... It's going to really thrive on crypto because, you know, Walmart or other groups have like 6% of their ships. Amazon, I think it's 9 or 10% of the ships that go through the canal are between Costco, Amazon, wow. and Walmart. So, you know, you've got to think Preach. about how are they going to pay it off, hint, hint, or not. Um, but also, you know, if we do get a cryptocurrency um, moving through there, you know, there's a lot of money that hasn't been collected and i'm just interested in, to replant and reforest fiona's actually really spot on and i know kieran wants to say something but there's another component to this which i tweeted out this morning i think it was about inflation and stuff like that fiona's point is really valid there's a lot of lucrative um natural resources and regions where people are now going after balls to the wall part my french they are because look at what look tyler you said it yourself Thailand is like now kind of pushing out sort of the backpackers that don't really add any value to the economy in Thailand. And tourism doesn't mean crap because we have the nicer beaches and stuff like that. And quite frankly, it's not like Americans or internationals that come in really add value that they take care of the region. And Tyler, you've said this yourself about Thailand and Bali and the impact of the Russian and the tourism that comes in so in some ways i'm kind of thinking to myself maybe these people are just taking back what's rightfully their own sovereign country to take care of it and to nurture it and to make it something that is more beautiful so that they can be proud of what's being presented because quite frankly when tourists come in they tend to go to these regions because it's cheap the women are beautiful and they could get away with certain things that they can't get away in their own country so at the end of the day come on let's be a little bit more realistic and transparent about why 
first world go to these regions because I'm a proud Latina. And at the end of the day, I'm 100% supporting that Central America goes down this path because it's also a way for them to deal with inflation and the fact that they're not getting tourism in. But it does allow them to generate their own economy and build it up. And I think people also tend to start pointing out the nefarious things, but come on, let's be realistic. There's been money laundering for decades, years, and centuries. Don't pin it on the Latin American people or the African people. Don't do that. That's a little but bit too in, in my opinion. I support yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, Kieran, go ahead. Now, one of the things that people forget is that, you know, we had the longest period where the humans stopped killing each other through war, all right? Um, and uh, people forget, people tend to have this romantic idea that when you have this control of money and, you know, they think this kind of, a, there is actually a decentralization. Look, Bitcoin is not decentralized. You know, there's about 1,000 people owns about 40% of the, you know, Bitcoin. Early miners and whales and exchanges. They hold, you know, you can go into it, you know, people will say, no, it's, it's, it's not that, that's not the number. There's about 1,000 people, they can move the market. And we are seeing that. Look, I mean, this weekend, you know, Tesla, you know, Elon Musk, he talks about it, he moves, uh, you know, 10%. And imagine if you're someone in El Salvador, you know, um, uh, holding on to a thousand dollars and he just lost when he went to bed on Friday, he woke up on you know, Monday morning, he lost 10 percent of his wealth. And come on, it's, it, you know, so the thing is, it's not about technology is great. Let's talk about blockchain, you know, uh, crypto, um, the consensus mechanism. We talk about all this, you know, delegated proof of stake and moving into different, you know, consensus mechanism will save uh, energy and all of that stuff. The energy that we're talking about is to cow dunks. And what I heard in the last two weeks since Elon Musk talking about green energy is volcano, cow shit, horse shit, and manure. Come on, let's just try and get you know, a bit more creative in this space, right? In terms of you know, Bitcoin and energy uh, for a start, before we think about how we should be giving the power of money into hands where we can be killing each other. This is the longest period we had peace where humans didn't go into war, killing millions and millions of people. Okay, we had pandemic, yes, and government's been there. They had the backstop. They have, you know, saved a lot of uh, people's lives by providing, you know, uh, printing a lot of money and they can't suck that money out of the system. You know, we, ha we have learned a lot of lessons over the last hundred years through many crises. No, know how to, you know, yes, the system does it, does it, uh, can be improved the financial system, the current system? Yes, absolutely. But Christ, we learned a lot of lessons where we are. It's a better place than, you know, giving into these kinds of, you know, decentralized, uh, you know, uh, geeks like Kira? Jack Dorsey and, you know, it, it makes no sense. Kira? Okay, can I make I a comment? I understand that it makes no sense, Kieran. We don't want chaos. We want stability. We don't want chaos. Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl, please please go ahead, Cheryl. The part of it that I... No, no, I just I want Cheryl to... Yeah, Cheryl, just one second, Amy. Just Cheryl, please go ahead. I say I agree with Kieran totally. We don't not want chaos. We want stability in our life. Amen. To that point... Civility only comes where people are treated equally. And I'm sorry, as a Hispanic that's been literally going through this growing up in the projects, I'm very, very sorry, but there's a lot of powers that be that are entitled and have kept marginalized people down for way too many decades and centuries. And I'm really, really sorry for that, but not sorry. Because at the end of the day, people could sit in their ivory towers and judge from the stands someone else's life. But until you've experienced it yourself, I would be I would probably go down and spend 
go down and spend a week in the worst neighborhood where you have to fight for yourself and your own things and your own food and your basic needs. Then come back and tell me how you feel. Because I would probably be hard pressed to believe if you would survive that week. Because at the end of the day, that is what we're dealing with. There's not civility. Look at the stuff that's going on in Africa. Look at the stuff that's going on in China. Look at the stuff that's going on in Argentina, Venezuela. You call that civility? You call that people not killing each other? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. No, hang on, hang on. I got it. I got it. I got it. I I know what uh, Kieran's talking about. He's talking about World War level of killings is what he's referring to. Absolutely. Should I say something? Should I say something? I trust. Okay. Go ahead, trust. um, should I go ahead? Hold on, I should, I should go on. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. So, uh, I, I hear what Kieran is talking about, right? And it makes absolute sense. But this is where this is where um, I disagree with, with, with Kieran, right? I, I think that the world we live in today, where I don't know, like the, the, the stats already show that the, the 99% of, of wealth which was like physical wealth were controlled by just 1% of population, which is terrible, right? That access and that, inf- because if, 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 you, if you reside in African countries, and I don't know, maybe Latin American countries or Central American countries, you realize that the instability of the political scene affects the lives of people around, right? If you agree that that is true, if you agree that that impedes global trade, for example, me in Nigeria being a businessman, I can't equally compete with the person on the same level, the same trade with me in, let's say, UK or US. He's likely to whoop my ass because I don't have that purchasing power because of my instability in my own country, right? I think it is important for us to then take away the, what's the resource that human need for survival, which is finances, the economic stability, I think it is important you take that away from the political instability that we've not found a way to resolve, right? So the extent why we've not found a way to resolve that political instability, I think it is wrong to then leave people's means of livelihood in that sort of in, in that state of instability. I think in the world where it is decentralized, you have a situation where I now can control my life to a reasonable degree. And I get what it says about Elon Musk. But that is possible. Why? Because it hasn't been accepted. So if we're still at the brink, oh, should we or should we not? So when someone that, oh, maybe you respect in the business, we say, oh, no, 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 I'm not trusting it. There is a possibility. Then you say, okay, I'm not also trusting it. But in a situation where it is globally accepted and globally trusted, it is almost impossible to then say, oh, one person just tweets one and say, oh, because you can't say you're not buying into it because that is what you have to trade anyways. So you can't say you're not buying. So all I, all that is needed for that to stop is global acceptance. To the extent where there is global acceptance, there won't be one person controlling the narrative from one from his bedroom or whatever. It's better than living lives of millions and millions of people in political instability. Trust is done talking. Can I make so, um, one second? LS, we'll go Cheryl and then LS, and then we got to wrap because I have a phone call in nine minutes. Go ahead, Cheryl, real quick. Okay, um, Singapore gained independence in 1965. We have no natural resources. Most of the people are uneducated. But we turned from nothing to developed country in less than three generations. Please go and see what Singapore has done. We are very small, I know, but use it as an incubator. Just see what we have done. 
there's a reason why Singaporeans trust the governance. Because we start from nothing. In 1965, when we are forced out of Malaysia, with no natural resources, not even water, and we became somebody after three, three generations. Okay, thank you, LS. Um, and thank you, Tyler and everyone. I joined late, so let me be quick. Uh, Cheryl, to your point on the data point, Singapore, which I've been to, um, part of that providence was um, the trade. And um, it, with China specifically, because the last 30 years, um, China was growing, and I've, I've been to both. And so it's economics, but I agree. Singapore put themselves out of the bootstraps. Um, to trust this point, and everyone, I apologize, I came late, and I just came on stage, so I know Tyler needs to rap, and Kyle, um, but regarding this um, economics, which is my focus, um, I think there is a paradigm shift. We need to work together. We need to be accountable to everything, and it doesn't mean speculative currencies, but I think we're just going to a convergence, and I was in a quantum room earlier on this, and um, all I would say is that economically, the world will change, and for Quran, we're just shifting. Because when you look at the global debt system, debt system, excuse me, and I'm not talking about the U.S. Um, our GDP, gross domestic product, which, which used to be gross production product, okay, they changed it, was around 70 trillion or 80 trillion. We're somewhere around. What's the point you want to make? Calculated about 400 trillion. So we are we can never pay it back. And we're going to need to do what, um, and some have talked about this, we're going to do a, another Britain's Woods. We're going to reset the economic system globally. And I believe that's coming. And I believe it will involve something of crypto, but I'll, not. I'll, he got it. That, he, 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 he just made, he just made the I'm point. Landing, I got I'm it. landing. I'm yeah. landing. Yeah. Oh, they just we, yeah, we have touched down. Right. We have touched Thank down. You, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, okay, we touched down. And it's, okay. it's, and it's not going to only be crypto, but it will be the technology. But thank you, Cal and, 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 and uh, right, Tyler, because you you're my big brothers. You and you guys you stay it. focused. We all landed safely. And uh, thank you for flying LS Airlines. That's <laughs> 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 good. Thanks no, so no, no, no. Yeah, you, you landed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We love point. you here. We love you here. And I wasn't listening, listening as intently. Yeah, yeah. You were landing it. Sorry. Thanks. Go ahead. Some, uh, I have one headline to go, and we've got four minutes left. So that means we have two minutes. Yeah. Two minutes. Tyler, you can, can take one, one of them. Thing, go. Please. Go okay. ahead. Can I, I just want to jump in. Okay. Uh, I just would like, uh, Amy, I'm with you 100%. I just think people should kind of step back and look at short-term history here. I'm not going to name the individual, but there was someone that tried to come up with a one currency for Africa. And we know what happened to him. But I think that Dorsey and his strive to have a wallet in Africa uh, is taking the playbook from somebody else. And maybe uh, he may be able to pull Whoa. it off. That's all I got to say. My so if I can, if I, Hold if on, I can, Karen. If I can you, we have a queue going real quick. It was uh, 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 Willie and Marvin and then Marvin. Kieran. I'll give you the last word. Go ahead, Marvin and Willie and Kieran. Um. When you look, I can only speak for Nicaragua, but when you look at governments like Nicaragua, uh, regardless of their adoption of technology, their leadership and their political views will always override where the country is. So I want to point directly at education and their, their desire to not mm -hmm. educate their community. Really? 
Yeah, just shortly, because it was about uh, politics and blockchain and uh, how it will rule the world or not. And I'm on the stability side, just an opinion. Uh, and yesterday we had a, a little room about the CCP and um, the free world. Uh, and uh, just consider this context that um, actually for transfer, in my position, in my opinion, a blockchain or to be more precise, the Bitcoin as a transaction tool is not is not proven to be good. It's it's mostly speculative. And there's the power law, Google for the power law and, and blockchain or Bitcoin. And uh, as um, Carl said, uh, it's, it could be really uh, for to increase instability all over the world, despite the, the good yeah. intentions. So we need a sandbox like El Salvador you. and we need the technologists to continue to innovate, which thank God they are. And um, Kieran, sorry. So, so Tyler, I think uh, just to add to the point, I think you know early in the um, in the session, you know, you talked about how leaders around the world. You know, we're going to see Trump again, right? Next 10, 20 years, we will see Trump again. As you know, he's going to be trying for the twenty twenty four. In the corporate world, you know, Cal talked about yes, you know, there are people coming in, you know, short term, you know, um, um, uh, shareholders capitalism, you know, driving, you know, uh, uh, not looking in the values. I think. What we need to do is a lot of the conversation you were talking about this crypto is again you know trying to put the screwdriver into every hole. There's a lesson that we can learn from Singapore. The way that Singapore you know got to where it is is that just to sum it up in 30 seconds is that they had this thing called the MPH, which is the meritocracy, pragmatism, and honesty. Right? Uh, there's a guy called Kisho uh, Magwani at Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. You know he talks about this a lot because you know, he will he saw how the Singapore, the right. I know there was a lot of problem in terms of you know, chewing gum and we can go into all of that stuff. What we need to do is, you know, look, Nigeria is a democracy. Sri Lanka is a democratic country. You know, since China, we see they since 2000, since 2000, they've taken 800 million people into, you know, middle class. You know, just think about that. That's twice the three times the U.S. population if you just kind of round, you know, if you put the rounding error into it. So, you know, there is the way the world is going. There is progress. We can see a huge change. Yes, what we need to do is we need to look at this MPH approach to each country. We need to hold our leaders accountable. We need to be careful who we elect and, you know, just get to, you know, we, I think we need to apply that and we need to make these leaders honest and, you know, um, uh, and pragmatic in the way they, they approach to the country. I think this is the kind of stuff we need to be talking about, you know, not trying to put crypto as the solution to bring the unbanked, uh, you know, uh, if China can bring 800 million people in 20 years, Trust me, we can bring that two billion people uh, or the unbanked and then, you know, the, the people that we're talking about, Latin America, through all the innovation, all the progress that we made. I, I don't think crypto is a solution. Okay, so last yeah, headline you. of the day for this meeting, because we, we meet later, depending on your time zone, um, and we hope you join us. Click on the title of the room to see the uh, schedule and do follow the Tech News Club. Uh, make your mama proud. And But the last headline is from Forbes, and it's a rather optimistic one that I wanted to leave everyone on a, on a happy note, although it's bittersweet. It's that VCs have invested $1.5 billion into mental health startups in 2020, a record high and 5.5 times more than they did in 2016. So there's this is clearly a strong indicator that a lot of investments going into mental health. And again, that's bittersweet. It's clearly Maybe because there's more of a need and more, but also more of a recognition. It's a huge new field, a lot of opportunity. And I have a friend who's uh, in that space, so I'll try and invite them to join us uh, all about that. 
So thank you for joining us at Tech News Around the World. We'll meet again in six, uh, no, five and a half hours. I hope you can join us then or next time, whenever you. you can. Thank you to everybody for your comments and input. And um, Jack Dorsey is Jesus. We figured it out, y'all. See you all next time. <laughs> thank you. See you later. Thank, thank you. you.